bought a mic. We bought a mic. We 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 bought a mic. Mic. We bought fuck up. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. We bought. Tom Cruise is running at 200 miles per hour. He's jumping out of a spaceship. Into Greatest Mars. movie of all time. Really? No. no I no. guess you'll have to stick around and see. Hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. We're talking something called Mission Colon Impossible today. I thought that we were reviewing Ant-Man the Wasp. Again? Again. Because oh, I don't remember anything about that movie, so I just had to see it again. Sadly, I, forgot again. I, think, I think Drew is busy training for Mission Impossible 7. Who's Drew? Oh, who oh, is that? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Drew, Drew, you you look different. <laughs> well, welcome welcome to okay, the show, the old Drew. Miss Lee Perry, my lovely girlfriend. I thought we were going to use an alter ego. <laughs> so too late for that. Damn it. Hi, I'm Lee Perry. Welcome. Hi. I'm Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And Lee is joining us today for the first time, but she's a she's a, a, a fan of the show, I think. Um, Aren't I'm the you? ultimate fan. That's how I stalked you. I mean, fell in love. Whoa! Was oh, oh, oh! <laughs> was through that mic. She's I, the the number one wabammer. She's actually the only wabammer, which is <laughs> that's. I mean, you guys by have, default, she's also no, the lowest wabammer. No, you guys so. have fifty followers, so. You can't give away that. 50? You can't give away those like private numbers. People oh have to like. Well, welcome, Lee. Um, we are going to get into some TV that we've been watching today and of course Mission Impossible Fallout okay. duh does Tom Cruise die does he not die I guess you'll have to tune in to find out I mean granted this movie has already been out for several days now so you probably would have found out by now but just tune in anyways it had a solid opening I think not it wasn't huge it wasn't like Marvel huge it was but. the biggest of the franchise but this leads into our first bit of news here it could have possibly been bigger if MoviePass hadn't uh Oh. Are we are we sure that MoviePass even contributes to box office numbers? No, no, anyways, no not but. that much. <laughs> but what happened, and we experienced this, Lee and I, when we saw the premiere on Thursday night, MoviePass just shut down that night. They just straight like basically went out of business and had to be bailed out for five million bucks. So the news coming out of it, because I also had this problem. Um, I was fortunate enough to see a screener for Mission Impossible, so I actually saw it on Monday, um, a few days early, and then of course had to go see it again to watch um <clears throat> how bad it is um <laughs> and i tried to go to the theater to use it and for everything it says for mission impossible it says currently unavailable the same message that you get whenever you try and do like imax screening or anything like that but that was for every show and then they waited until today to release uh new news that no longer movie pass probably they said that they might not but that means that they won't support "Quote unquote major studio releases." So Christopher Robin, so the Meg, pretty much everything, unless you're going to an art house theater, which probably won't support Movie Pass anyways. 
So it's 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 dead, guys. We're yeah. we're we're never we're watching see the rock for free. Ever. We're watching it's a dying paper. animal ha- like just in front of us, and we could just put it out of its misery by just canceling our subscriptions. But, but are, see, gonna... do you do you hear us, MoviePass execs? Because I need to tell you something right oh. now. If you're listening, Mitch Lowe, I'm gonna take advantage of this shit until it fucking dies. I went to see Mission Impossible a second time, and I just checked into a different movie, and you can't fucking stop me. Mm-mm. I yeah. still saw it. What are you going to do? Cancel my subscription <laughs> two weeks before it goes bankrupt? I, I, I'm i at the same point where I'm just like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, like They it. kept threatening, like, oh, if you do this or you do this, then your subscription will be canceled. But really, we're just biding our time until we have to kind of begrudgingly become A-listers. I think we're at the point where... Uh, you know where you commit to something so hard and you're like whether it's a fact or something about somebody and you're just like this is right i know that i am right about this and then you keep getting proven wrong <laughs> somebody pulls up the wikipedia in front of you and shows it to you and you're just in denial over and over again until you finally have to cave in that's where we're at with movie po- pass at this point we've tried to defend it on the podcast we're holding our flag i mean out we, here. we're still giving them money 10 bucks a month i'm actually yeah. really upset I'm really, I'm actually, I'm distraught. You're a newcomer to the movie pass game. No, because like, that's the only reason why Ernest and I are really together. If you think about it. <laughs> you because, pretend to like, like movies. No, like I will not pay more than I think I need to for a movie. And I'm paying $10 a month to see every single movie that comes out, including Mamma Mia. And I'm the type of person that talks shit about movies versus actually seeing them. Like, I'm one of those hypocritical people that has no right being on a podcast about pop culture because <laughs> I fucking talk shit. But MoviePass made me understand film. Wow, you hear that, MoviePass <laughs> wow. executives? You changed lives. You changed me, and <laughs> I feel it everywhere. <laughs> And fortunately, all that love that you feel is all just going to be ripped away from you. I think movie pass. <laughs> oh, no. You know, like some a people are saying that tells you he loves you after the third date. <laughs> don't don't me, baby. Some some people are saying the movie pass might last a week, a month, a couple months. I think they could die at any minute. Yeah, I mean, any the, second. I thought you said they died tonight. You literally they, looked they at me. Keep, you were like, they they're dead. I mean, they basically are. They're not letting people check into any wide major wide releases anymore like come on it's not even the point wide releases because i saw a thing um on the movie pass subreddit today and somebody was saying they were trying to go see blind spotting today blind spotting and they couldn't get a seat to it Mm. the only uh things that are widespread that are currently available on movie pass is uh if you they use e-ticketing but that is like two percent of the theaters nationwide oh yeah the the one closest to us is like 40 miles away yeah it's ridiculous. I mean, I'll say one last thing about this before we move on. And I think that um, there were a lot, not a lot, but like a solid amount of people who were paying for MoviePass back when it was like 40, 50 bucks a month. And they had that shit for like years, you know, a year or two where it was fine. And once MoviePass brought their price, their monthly price down to 10 bucks a month, that's when this shit started to go south. That's when shit started to go wrong. And all of these people that have had their subscription work fine forever are now like they're they're fucked because of 
people like me who went to see movies like five times a month. I don't understand the business model because I was under the impression, and excuse my ignorance, but I thought that someone was sponsoring the fact that people are signing up to be a statistic. Isn't that how it goes? Like, show me the money first, no, and then they I'm going to co- collect all this data. And they show. were hoping that it someone was, was going to pay up. And also, so oh. um, the guy who actually uh, created MoviePass, or not the creator, but the guy who took over as CEO, who came up with the idea of lowering this price model down to like an unsustainable level is somebody who ran Netflix and for years Netflix wasn't profitable but it was all about planning for the future and I mean look at Netflix now they're one of the biggest companies in the country in the world really like everybody has a Netflix subscription I mean there's tons of companies especially tech companies that aren't profitable like I don't think Amazon is tech but I mean the problem with movie pass is that they don't have the backing of let's say an AMC theater that's already making their own profit off of ticket sales and uh, like food drinks all that good stuff I mean one thing I'm just happy that movie pass was in our lives for however long it is I just looked up I've seen 43 movies with movie pass so like even if it goes to shit like it's for been what a great... like a hundred bucks I started the first movie that I used movie pass for was it so we're talking about in less than almost a year, a year. Like, a little bit less than a year. So, yeah, like 100 bucks. I've seen so many movies, and it's all thanks to MoviePass. I know that it's, again, it's going to go under any day now, but in a lot of ways, like, I'm glad that MoviePass... It's Movie been a Pass, good ride. I'm glad that MoviePass came into our life for multiple reasons. One, because I got to see all these films, but also that MoviePass kind of created this whole new way to go see movies, that now, look at AMC, and... I have a feeling that Regal and other theaters are going to follow suit where they're going to create the subscription-based models for going to go see movies because right now the model for going to go see movies it's not it doesn't work. That's the it's reason why it's the reason why Hollywood in a lot of ways is kind of failing just because people don't want to spend $12 for a ticket and then $20 on popcorn and drinks. Like nobody wants to do that. Yeah. And I think that you know that is kind of a beautiful point that we live in this time when going to the movies is a dying thing like it's just it eventually in the future it's just not going to be a thing that people do so if this is a final push for the cinema to stay alive it's kind of it's kind of beautiful that movie pass is like kind of sacrificing itself for that you know they're just taking the plunge they're like you know no, no, always, that doesn't make any damn sense there's a lot of parallels to movie pass and jesus christ in a weird way <laughs> Movie Pass had to die for all of us I so just, that we could be saved. Like, what CEO was like, okay, let's drop our prices like into a quarter of what they should be, and then let's go ahead and do that until we burn out of all of it's our probably money. Probably a lot of dirty money involved. <laughs> Who's dirty money, though? Because nobody, if, if people aren't paying out, that's the whole problem is that they created this model around like somebody being like "Ooh, i want to know exactly what all different demographics of people are watching and it's like but they they aren't though they're not paying out i mean movie pass it has a variety of problems they really uh faced like a big financial dilemma whenever they decided to go public with their stocks like you can buy movie pass stock on the stock exchange and it's been hovering right around a (laughs) dollar for months like i'm talking like four or five months at this point like it's just every decision hasn't been well planned out and i mean ten dollars is too it's too cheap like i feel like the twenty dollar model is kind of 
where that's I feel like AMC kind of set set the bar, and that's going to be where other subscription based um, movie going experiences follow suit is the twenty dollars because on average I would say people go see about just the average moviegoer maybe one to two movies a month. So you think if somebody goes to a movie twice in a month, then they pay for their subscription. But what if somebody's busy that month and they only go see one movie or zero movies, and they're still making a profit off of that? I yeah, I mean, I think that MoviePass based that figure on the average person seeing up around one movie a month. But because of the service they provided, then obviously that's going to go up. Damn. So, all right, but we gotta we gotta move on uh, to what we've been watching. So one final. R.I.P. Movie Pass. But hey, who knows? I might see like five movies with it in the next two Dude, every day until days. it dies. I'm just gonna keep going. So uh, we got a couple couple shows to talk about here. We're gonna kind of go through them quick so we can get to our review as quickly as possible. But the first one is something that I had a little bit of a snafu um, trying to watch the new season of, and that's BoJack Horseman. I um, I didn't know what season I was on. So now I'm having, I, I kind of skipped a bunch of episodes. Basically what happened is I skipped the second half of season three. So now I went back and, you know, watched it up correctly and then started on season four while having seen that mm-hmm. second half of season three, which I hadn't done last year, but season five is about to come out um, in September. So I got to prepare for that. This show's amazing. Like it is mm. absolutely just so um heavy with its depressing tone uh but it still manages to strike these really funny kind of laugh out loud moments in the best way even with things in the background that they just decide to like put in these little visual jokes in the backgrounds of scenes uh but it's just a really really strong show and i think it's getting better i'm kind of really excited for the season and i'm you know i'm still catching up on the second half of season four, but I I love this show, man. It's so good. It's so so good. Yeah, I I also I need to watch season four. I think that I started it, but then I kind of I got busy watching other shows and everything else, and I kind of fell off with it. But this show, in a lot of ways, has uh, in a weird way, kind of replaced Rick and Morty as like the smart animated show on TV. Because now Rick and Morty's fan base is kind of toxic, mm-hmm. so. Bojack is now kind of that show. It's not a new show, but that like people who watch it, like they, I, I, if somebody says like, Oh dude, I love Bojack Horseman. It's just like, okay. Like I kind of respect like certain parts of your comedic sensibility right. and what you're kind of looking for in a TV show. They say Rick and Morty. You're just like, Ugh. Rick and Morty. It's like 50, 50 at this point, because now just everybody I saw at my job, which was name nameless. Um, I saw a seven year old boy, like, six seven year old boy walk in with like a Rick and Morty pickle Rick t-shirt on and I'm like this show is not made for you kid like who are your parents you have horrible parents you need to tell them to stop leave I've never liked that show Rick and Morty I've really all, well I, I mean I, I haven't gotten it yet I don't know if I haven't seen the best episodes or what but I thought I was gonna go out of this world watching this show and it just lost me immediately and I was like I'm tired of hearing the same jokes and the same laughs <laughs> the like, same I like just, self-deprecating kind of yeah yeah like i and and honestly i wanted it to be a little smarter i was expecting it it to be smarter smart though an undertone but it's also kind of like in your face too uh but with bojack i 
I've you ever see that like kind of sad person at a party or maybe at like a music festival that you know is way too old and they shouldn't really be there and they're just trying to like relive that last little bit of like youth that they have that's Bojack Horseman in an animated show where you think animated so you think oh cute and then you realize it's trying to be funny but in the saddest way it possibly fucking can i mean especially as the series goes on i mean at this point uh again i i'm still trying to catch up on last year's season but at this point bojack is like in a really really dark place and he's went on this crazy alcohol drug bender and it's just in the the bottom of the fucking barrel just barely scraping along in his sad sad life and it's like damn how how much darker can this yeah. get, dude? <laughs> it's it's wild. Well, I just um I think of it as like a Picasso painting. Like we all like let's be real, people, we all know it's bad. But it still is a form of art. And so you go to the museum because you're like, I want to see through the eyes of Did that you just art. That's a hot take bad. hot take on Wabam right Whoa, now. Jeez. No, seriously, Picasso like I've been to a Picasso Picasso what the fuck was he on? Really? Can we Doesn't really say bad. that out loud? Am I the only one who's ever said that? Sometimes I look at his shit and I'm like, did he take a shit? Next you're going to be painting? like, yeah, I think Beethoven. Uh, no, no, no. Because <laughs> we just went to go see um, Dolly. We went to go see the Salvador Dolly yeah. Museum. And that could have been interpreted as shitty art. But when you look at it, it's so breathtaking and so out of this world that you realize that man is a genius. I look at Picasso and I'm like, he stuck his finger in his Those butt are like and put two- it on the canvas. <laughs> like, what the fuck? That's, are- so what I'm saying is just with, with Bojack, I'm not saying it's shit on a canvas. What I'm saying is that I admire that it is art, but it is like the saddest art, the art that I wouldn't paint personally. I want to paint flowers and rainbows. This is somebody painting a very sad man who is trying to be in touch with his youth even though he's too irresponsible as a human being to step up and be an adult man. Yeah, I mean that's Damn right. that that that's very like well said. I mean, that's kind of the theme of Bojack is him just always constantly trying to relive the glory years even as he's just aging and aging and that's what makes it so depressing. I mean, there's one moment, I think it's in season 2 or season 3 where he like goes to texas or wherever and he like finds his oh, the old lover's yeah. like daughter that's the end of season two that is like one of the most like jaw like <laughs> fucked up things that you watch and you're like in this universe you're like a 40 year old man trying to hook up with like a 17 16 oh, 17 under 18 year old. yeah like yeah. oh god but then, it's like it's skin crawly but, but then in the next season he goes on this bender yeah and spoilers for season three, but he ends up like stalking this girl at her college Ugh. and like following her. And it's like, what show am yeah, I watching right now? My favorite Holy part sh- is that I watch shows and I'm always a little bit disconnected from the characters because I'm like, this is staged. This show is 100% fabricated. Somebody designed all of this, but I, it is the realest fucking show i've ever seen it's too real yeah well they're i mean it's animated so no no but i know <laughs> I, people like we that. all know a horseman we all know a horseman that is like i'm gonna die one day bojack is I, a paid actor <laughs> i um 
in a lot of ways this show kind of not actually tonally in any sort of way but like kind of the arc of bojack is very reminiscent of like breaking bad where it's this character who does like really despicable things but you still try to like him and i almost wonder if it's yeah. going to go the full breaking oh, bad it's, where it's by the end there. of it it's like you just this man is unforgivable and you just kind of hate him yeah i mean i don't think bojack has any redeeming qualities left at this point it's pretty scarce um what he definitely needs for some more redeeming qualities it's a little bit of queer eye <laughs> on not, his horse man, head. Really? Man, these transitions. Oh, they're amazing. By the way, this this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Netflix. <laughs> I thought he was going to stop after everybody called him out all the time on him doing that. I but was he just, about he's to, getting no, worse. He's been peppering in more and more. He's just taking notes. These smooth ass transitions. I was about to talk about Casper Mattress oh. and MeUndies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Two things Back that to are, two things when that I have, shave once every two months, I'm a Gillette kind of man. <laughs> Four blades. Two things that the Fab, three things that the Fab Five would recommend. Five things. So let's talk about Queer Eye, guys. <laughs> it's a good show. Uh, I cried. Okay, you're trying to get me to say that I watch it. Yes, everybody, I watch it because I'm a little queer and I have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for the straight guy. I I saw that you put this on the docket, Ernest, and I got a little bit excited because I've seen. So oh I, I've seen my God. I used to watch the old Queer Eye mostly because On Bravo. I mean, I grew up with my mom and my sister in our household, so we watched a lot of like TLC, Bravo kind of stuff. And I started watching. I was like, this show's actually like good. And then it got picked up on Netflix, and I have watched all of the first two seasons. And I stand by this show, guys. Like this show's good. Yeah, I haven't seen every single episode, but of the ones I've seen, pretty much every single one manages to tell a engaging and emotional story. Mm. I don't I don't know if they're making it up. I don't know if they're you know well, I'm hyping it up. Assuming most of it is acting written, for the camera. But I mean but these are works. real people that they come across and I uh what I, I'm curious. What are your guys' uh who are your favorite who's your favorite of the group? Uh, I don't know. I mean I think um, the dude that makes the food, what's his name? Oh, oh Anthony. no, Anthony. That's yeah. the wrong. That's the one wrong answer that no, you. Have. No, no, I think no, no, no. I like him. He's cool. He's, he's very chill. He's great. Okay, I'm gonna tell you guys right now. Anthony's not gay. <laughs> oh, and I don't like him at all. Uh. I I love the show. I can't stand Anthony. Oh man, really? <laughs> I, Why? Because he's I, too perfect. I. I you want to talk about perfection? <laughs> Let's talk about Jonathan. Whoa, Jonathan is too much, dude. dude I. Fucking love. First Jonathan. of all, can I just butt in here because I have been exposed to homosexuality since I was a very young girl. I, th- those were my friends. Exposed. I was exposed. <laughs> no, because I'm a little older than you guys, and I grew up in a time when I saw literal like hate crimes happening at my school, and Yikes. I had a friend that came out to me who made me feel like this is these are my people. And so Queer Eye for the Straight Guy did that for America. Like Queer Eye for mm. the Straight Guy back in the 90s or, or no, early 2000s where, where like that show was bringing a culture that people were so disconnected from, putting it into the homes of the average American person and saying, we're people too. And you know what? You're not treating your men right, society, because people don't take the time 
especially back then, to tell a young man that he can invest in the way that he looks or that he can invest in his emotions and being like able to propose to his girlfriend in a sentimental, sweet, kind way. It's just everything is so um, exposed in, in, in a person's development when men literally half-ass the way that they present themselves because they were never taught how to properly nurture. No, and, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. And I also mean, because it's, it's looked at like feminine. Yeah. Like, Oh, queer. Like, Oh, like, you want to be well-groomed and have self-confidence. I mean, I think that low key, the actual best member of the group is a uh, Karamo. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because he makes while the these other difference. guys. Yeah. Well, the other guys are kind of like, you know, changing the way that you look, the way that your house looks, the way that, uh, your like hairstyle, even like the way that you cook, Karamo is very much uh, focused on changing your actual mindset and helping you become more of like a self-confident person. And that's really like the major benefit of the show is in kind of helping people who are not attractive or don't dress the best way or have like real like genuine feelings where they're like, oh, well, I mean... I'm just a guy, so it doesn't matter what I look like or how I act because I'm just like, I'm just a dude. Exactly. And he really, uh, I feel like more so than anybody else, kind of makes long lasting differences where you look at like, I mean, I love Tan, but Tan's going to come in there and like change up your wardrobe and everything. What's going to change that guy like as soon as he leaves, just like, I'm going to throw on these band t shirts again. Like, yeah. that's, it's yeah. not necessarily as long lasting of an impact as something as deep as. And when, when you have a camera, when you have a camera pointed at you, you're more susceptible to like play along with it all and be like, yeah, yeah. look, let's do all yeah. this crazy stuff. But at a certain point, you're still going to be the same person deep down. And I think that what you see in a lot of these guys is that what the Fab Five are doing is they're not changing them as people. They're really the same person at the beginning and the end of the episode. It's just that they make it so that they feel able to take care of themselves in a in a really kind of you know more attentive way that it's like look you're still the same person you just got a haircut some fresh new clothes you shaved fixed your posture maybe it's not like you're a different person you're just presenting yourself in a much more confident way i think that's the real difference yeah but can i just can i just say that for a a homosexual man to break that barrier for me people might not see it on the surface but that is deep in itself because homosexual men have to confront so many social taboos throughout their lifetime and they're addressing it and forcing a straight man who's actually the one in the closet with their sense of selves and pulling them out of it that is in itself symbolism yeah yeah i mean it's it's also i mean kind of beautiful that whenever you think about these are real people like the the fab five are real people who once faced hate maybe even from their own family whenever they decided to come out and now they're like they're i mean i won't say they're like the biggest celebrities in the world but they're huge celebrities like if I saw like one of the fab five walking down the street I'd be like, i would recognize yeah. them and that takes a lot for you to for you to reach that level of celebrity but i mean like you said lee like they're they are homosexual men who once faced extreme scrutiny and just because they're big on tv now it's 
I feel like it's a big message to society, even if it doesn't actually fix the problems of homophobia mm-hmm. within it. But I have to say that um, given that I grew up around a lot of LGBT like community members, I also have to say that there was a part of me that was hesitant to watch this because I was so angry at Jonathan, like how flamboyant he was, because a lot of homosexuals are almost exploited in, on TV because they're almost so flamboyant that it's like no one in the gay community actually acts mm-hmm. like that. And it frustrates me because my friends are picked on when they have a little bit of a list maybe because on TV they're like, hey girl, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. It's like get out of my face with that because I don't know a single gay man that actually talks like that. And But yet when I actually started watching the show, I realized that the reason why this show is coming out right now during this time in history is because we're really confused. We're all freaking out. And there's a lot of segregation happening in our society. And Queer Eye did that for the early 2000s. And now it's coming back because we kind of need it again right now. As far as every episode is kind of calculated that they're bringing up a Republican with a Make America Great Again hat on. It's like, okay, you're obviously trying to make a statement. And then the very next one, Karamo is driving a truck and he gets pulled over by a white cop. It's like, shove it in my face about everything about today's problems. Yeah, that is that is one fault that I will give uh, yeah. specifically to the newer episodes is that it does feel, it's not very often, but it does happen on certain episodes where it's, a little bit too in your face with the social commentary where it's like we get it they're in literally like they're in the countryside i mean outside of atlanta which is a more progressive city but they're still in georgia like filming this yeah and when they're you're going in atlanta out the you're country. in atlanta but when you're outside of atlanta yeah you're in georgia you're out in like the gay georgia area. that's what it was called gay georgia one of the episodes yeah. was taking place in gay georgia like it's uh it, it I, I do. I completely agree with everything that you're saying. That it does feel very important that the show is coming back now. Even if I feel like season two is a little bit better about not being quite as on the nose with some of the stuff. But God, there was one episode uh, in season two which I, I don't know if you saw yet, but it's the episode where the guy who's really into movies and everything, and he finds a way to propose to his girlfriend. I did see that one. I love that episode. Like that's one of the most yeah. beautiful things well, I've ever that's seen. That's the one that I was thinking about when I was saying that what this show does is that it just brings out a better side of yourself, mm-hmm. and it doesn't change. It doesn't you. change you because yeah, this that's guy, what's one of the best things about the show. This guy looks so so different by the end of the episode. If 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 this were the type of show that would do a before and after, it would be so drastic with this. Mm-hmm. Guy. Mm. but at the end of the day it's just a haircut a shave and some fresh new clothes mm. and it makes such a big difference it's yeah. it's crazy um you guys have any final thoughts before we move on um my final thoughts are that guys you need to moisturize and you all need to wear more fitting clothes because the baggier You're clothes. Staring at Why really did you look at me right like that? I'm just uh, staring hard. I'm just, sa- at him. I'm just saying. You bought me this shirt. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that's my final thought. <laughs> all right. Well, that's Queer Eye on Netflix, season three coming soon. Coming soon. I hope yeah. so. I I one fault. I wish that the seasons were longer. To be honest, they're ten episode seasons, well, a half hour each. How but- do you have enough tears for all of those episodes? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a tough show to binge. Um, so 
again, still riding the Netflix train right before we hop off. Um, I finish the um, third and final season of Love, Judd Apatow, Paul Russ uh, joint. Mm -hmm. I won't do it. Yeah. So Lee and I watched it up until the beginning of season three and she couldn't do it anymore because this show it's okay. So we've talked about Judd Apatow before Mm -hmm. on, on the pod. He's done crashing. He's done girls. He's done a ton of really popular movies like knocked up and, um, uh, train train wreck. Yeah. 40 year old virgin. Um, so love is Paul Rust and Jillian Anderson, and they are a couple in L.A., both in kind of the industry. Um, Paul Rust plays a guy that's trying to be a TV film guy, and Jillian Anderson is like a radio show host or something. But anyway, it's just about their relationship, and they're two people that shouldn't be together. So, Lee, you got to the point where that dynamic of two people who shouldn't be together was just too cringy because this show gets super uncomfortable it's like uh these situations like why am i putting myself through this watching this why it's so cringeworthy this? well that guy's face paul russ paul russ is an ugly his dude. face Let's is like making that me giant feel... fucking nose i've never seen it's a bigger nose in my life but yeah. no it's seriously like you thought tom cruise had a big nose like like i dated when i was a freshman in high school i dated a, a you know a senior and it was so awkward because like people made fun of him so bad for dating someone so young. So every time I was around him, I didn't want to really touch him in public. <laughs> it was like really awkward. And but yet I was dating. So I was like, I'm a freshman. I'm dating a senior. This is so cool. It wasn't cool at all. It was very uncomfortable. And his hands were very clammy and like wet all the time. And it made me feel like I didn't want to touch anything. So that Paul he Rust touched. reminds you of him. That's this whole show. Like, uh, it makes me feel like, the whole vibe. am I supposed to be watching this? Why would anybody make a show about this? I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. So I, I finished the third season, and it's not it's not amazing. It's definitely Judd Apatow's, like, worst show. Uh, I'd say Girls is probably the best, and then Crashing. Um, but it's fine. It's enjoyable. There's some good moments here and there. But overall, it's really tough to get over that cringy uh obstacle yeah so i i watched the first season of love and it was a show that i fell off of mostly because i remember like watching the first season i was like this is like this is good but like i feel like it could be great and it's just kind of missing that i think i mean apatow didn't write it he just ep'd it right yeah i think paul rust does a lot of writing i judge which judd does write some i mean I don't think Paul Russ has ever like written anything else before. He's very much like an improv comedian kind yeah, of guy. Yeah. Like I don't think that he has any other like major writing credits. And it's just one of those things that I watched the first season. I think I might have even started season two just to see if like the writing got better because in a lot of ways, like that kind of a dynamic of a relationship, like that can work out to be amazing. Like there are shows I mean that, Jillian Anderson is a good actress I mean, too. Yeah. Uh Jillian or Gillian I think her name is pronounced Gillian but Gillian Gillian I I always do this um her and Paul Rust I mean both of them are great I wouldn't say Paul Rust is a good actor he's fucking hilarious dude if you ever listen to like him on like comedy bang bang or something like that but he's really funny guy he actually has credits on the comedy bang bang tv show too oh I mean I I believe that because it's very like improv and comedy heavy it's not like actual dramatic writing tension heavy where it almost feels like sometimes with love they sacrifice what could be a compelling dramatic scene for like a cringeworthy scene because that's 
what they know how to do. Yeah. I just have to say that the same argument that Ernest always gives about Netflix being just so free to put out poop TV all the time because anybody will watch it. So Netflix is just investing in pushing stupid shows that no one is ever going to nominate for anything. This show, though, is another form of art, I think, where there's this renaissance because Netflix is being so free with those decision-making processes. Uh, this show is an art form because that it, it encapsulates that feeling of, I don't really know you, and I like you, and I'm attracted to you, but I don't really know why because we don't really fit. Also and that put, show that show like elevates that feeling and you feel it too. And also put yourself in the shoes of the closest thing you can imagine of what these people must be going through. Mid thirties living in LA, kind of yeah. crazy, kind of fucked up. You know, LA is a huge, huge city. And then you're like trying to make it in this industry and you're like, shit, like I'm in the middle of my thirties. Yeah. Should I just marry this person yes. that I'm yes. kind of with? Yes. I mean, this is like, I, I, I'm, I am glad, even though I do think that the show could be better, um, I'm glad that it exists because this is a show that, I mean, had it been written 10 years ago, it wouldn't have gotten greenlit on Comedy Central or wherever it yeah, would have lived. No like, there's no way the show could survive right now. But on Netflix, I mean, because they have such a huge base and, like, they have such a huge budget in which they can afford to throw, they're like, oh, yeah, you guys whatever. need, like... <laughs> Three million for the entire sure. season. Cool. Yeah. Like whatever. We're busy making bright too. Oh, so like no. it's it's just pocket change for them. And I'm I'm glad that this show exists. And I'm glad but, that it only ran for three seasons because then you don't run the risk of it. Like, it doesn't getting fall horrible. off into being bad. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. You get a good ending. You get closure with all the characters. I'd recommend it if you're looking for something super easy, casual to watch. No, but I just I just have to highlight the fact that like. Even uncomfortable feelings can be now, like, shown to you in a way that you immediately empathize with it. Like, how is yeah. that? I mean, we're we're watching through Nathan for you right now. Uh, like, I mean, I'm yeah. showing well, you a bunch of even those Bojack. Episodes. Like, I'm not a washed up like 55 year old like like TV. But you kind of get it, but I kind of you're get not it. a horse man. <laughs> I feel I feel that same feeling of like depression and anger. This same show, I feel so awkward and tense throughout the entire thing that I realized that this is another form of art that they can take that feeling and personify it through the and characters. A lot of that you can owe it to the performers, to the actors, yeah. to Gillian and Paul, because they do such a good job of like selling these really like kind of fucked up people that you don't ever get the sense that they're pretending to be these people. You're like, Oh, are these actors really like this? Like, are they this kind of weird, weird yes. fucked up people? Yeah. I just, what I said about being better is like, I mean, that same feeling of uncomfortableness. I feel like it was really popularized by um, by The Office and really all Michael Schur things kind of have this, not so much with The Good Place, but they have this kind of level of uncomfortableness to it. And The Office, meanwhile, I feel like can live episode to episode being good, probably because it doesn't try and be as linear of a story as love. But I mean, that's kind of what in a way popularize this whole like uh cringy thing to watch and then nathan for you and that's like the ultimate extreme yeah. of it where a lot of people are like i cannot watch this show because it just makes me too uncomfortable and in a way that's kind of becoming a little bit too much of a thing with uh such a baron cohen yeah, oh yeah um <laughs> We'll save uh, 
who is America. who is America for a different podcast. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I just kind of I I, I wish that the show was better, but I am glad that it exists. My All right. Thoughts. That's love on Netflix. Um. We have two more things to get to before um our big featured review, and one of them is a new show on HBO called Sharp Objects. Um, so we won't dwell too much on this because we've only seen the first. I've seen the first two. I've only seen the pilot. Yeah. And uh, this is a show that I've put on just kind of kind of in passing to see if maybe it catches my attention. I wasn't really too invested in it. I never got to see Big Little Lies. I, I still haven't gone around to that one. Um, but I love Amy Adams. I think she's very, very, very talented. And the fact that this show is is every episode written by Jillian Flynn? Um, I think it is. Uh, the, I the think writer... she at least has like a co-writing credit because she wrote the book yeah. that oh, this is based that's on. What it is. Okay. Um, yeah, the writer of uh, Gone Girl. And then every episode is directed by the same director as Big Little Lies. Yeah, um, I was looking up his name now. Um, it's, it's some French name. Yeah, because I mean, Jean... uh, Jean-Marc Vallée. Okay. Because um, he also has made movies like Dallas Buyers Club. Oh, it's probably his right. biggest movie. Great movie. They made, yeah, really, really strong movie. So, so I've seen the first two, um, and I've got to say I'm a little intrigued by this show. It's very slow. It's sort of the southern. It's set in Mississippi, so you get the southern vibe. It's almost like a like a southern Twin Peaks a little bit. Although it, I don't expect it to get as out there as Twin Peaks. But you know, you have a murder of a young girl and the possibility of a serial killer going after other young girls, and you have Amy Adams playing a reporter uh, going back to her hometown investigating this possible serial killer. And you have your local law enforcement and your outside FBI agent. So you have these similar dynamics to a. a I didn't Twin even make Peaks. that connection, but you're you're totally right. Like it has the same kind of setup. Yeah, and 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 there's these hints of the supernatural, uh, and just the the strange and the weird and the surreal. I it I don't think it's going to get Lynchian. I'll be very surprised if it gets Lynchian, but there's just this hint of that that is like kind of intriguing me to see kind of where it goes. Yeah, I mean, I uh I mostly checked out the show because the praise for the show has been almost universal. Like everybody is really on board with the show. Um especially people who I know have familiarity with the novel and where it goes, and of course I haven't looked anything up because I'm 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 in on the show. Um, I think the pilot was actually really strong. Um, it wasn't flashy like a lot of big, especially HBO pilots are. But I kind of appreciate that we, after watching the pilot, you get a whole sense of Amy Adams' character in like very very subtle ways. Especially that in are the done. final shot, the final like couple shots, the final uh, few minutes of the of the whole show but really even how it starts um we have uh the girl who played beverly uh from it from the new yeah, it movie perfect. plays a young amy abs yeah. and honestly they look like the same fucking person yeah. i never would have you, made that connection you hear that jessica chastain excellent casting um <laughs> yeah just for, for it chapter yeah. two um but uh i i really like how even in the beginning the the first real whole uh segment that we get of the show is just them kind of sneaking in it goes into them her sleep sneaking into her childhood home and then that kind of evolves into amy adams current home and you see just even like little subtle things about how sneaking into this giant um 
very much like a plantation home in the south Mm -hmm. and then she goes up into the room and there's like an obama hope poster and stuff like that where you can kind of just immediately get the sense that this is a girl who grew up kind of in this very conservative uh family and she's kind of broken away from all that she's now a reporter obviously she's like a big city breaking more into like being a democrat being in the big city as opposed to out in the country and it's very just extremely extremely well d- directed that's my biggest takeaway from the first episode is that um jean-marc jean-marc valet uh d- directs every episode and i'm just on board with and that the, because his direction is excellent the direction comes through in the most subtle ways like the the way a, a scene will just bounce back and forth between the past and the present mm-hmm. seamlessly. It'll just cut. There's no whoosh. There's no like big flashy thing telling you you're in a flashback. It just immediately puts you. It, it, it's this really kind of um, gradient flow in between the past and the present that I, I've I've never seen anything done quite like that. And also a personal favorite aspect for me is the songs that Amy Adams is listening to in her car. It's like mainly Led Zeppelin. And then in episode two, she plays an LCD sound system song. It's like, you didn't have to do that, but just these small little touches. Yeah, there's some Sylvan Esso in the first episode where I was just like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's just a really, it's, it's small, it's slow. It's not trying to be flashy, like you said. And I'm in. I think it's a mini series because I know Big Little Lies. Yeah, I was. think it's only eight or ten episodes. Yeah, so, so I'm I'm definitely in. Um, I'll, I'll I'll be intrigued to keep watching it. And uh, Lee, if you wanna if you wanna jump in at ep three, you know I could I could catch you up because it's you pretty lost easy. Me at Big Little Lies. <laughs> Amy like, Adams. I'm not watching anything. Amy Adams is one of the best actresses alive yeah. right now. So like really, yeah. I mean, as soon as I heard that she was doing an HBO thing, I was just all all in. Yeah. All right. Um, before we take a break, let's talk a little bit about Princess Mononoke. A little bit. Yeah, it's gonna be. <laughs> a a, I'm sorry. It's gonna me? be. A, a, it's gonna be more than now? a little bit. <laughs> I mean, we break now. We we all got a chance to check out a theatrical showing of Princess Mononoke. <laughs> I'm curious. Did you guys see subbed or dubbed? We saw subbed. Fuck. Yeah. I'm, je- I'm, I'm jealous because I saw dubbed, but I really, really wish I, I could have seen I didn't realize subbed. they were s- switching it up like mm-hmm. that. No, it was it was great. And, and actually, uh, when we walked out of the theater, Lee made me realize that you actually get a lot um, more deeper of an understanding of some of the, the plot and, the, and mm-hmm. the characterization through reading the subtitles. Yeah, it was very different in English, especially because, I mean, some of the cast that does the voiceovers are so amazing. But... Um, it's a little, they also translate it differently. So you actually get a little bit deeper of a storyline, I think. Mm. Um, so if yeah. anyone doesn't know what this movie is, it is an anime classic. This came out in 1993, eight, eight, 98. Yeah. I don't have it pulled up. Um, um 97, 97. Close. Okay. So. It's 21 years old at this point, and they brought it back. They always do this like Studio Ghibli mm-hmm. fest at a lot of um, a lot of theaters, and uh, yeah, I, I managed to get to get us tickets way ahead of time. And uh, this movie is it's a lot, you know. I thought that I had a, a good memory of seeing this movie, but for some reason I didn't remember any of it. I'm pretty sure it was my first time seeing it, even though I had very like vivid memories of some of the visuals. It was like your first time seeing it as like an adult, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I remembered what princess Mononoke looked like. I remembered her, her wolf family, but, 
everything about the plot and the characters felt very fresh to me. And to me, it was really kind of overwhelming to take all of that in because it was just, it felt so fresh to me. There's this movie is so deep and layered and there's so much happening thematically in terms of like, it's, it's, it's themes about technology and survival and nature and environmentalism and good and evil. And it's so much that I already feel the need to revisit it because there's so much happening in this film that we could we could devote like a whole podcast to it really it's 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 a lot yeah i mean um i i really i wanted to say this movie is like really really special to me like this is my favorite studio ghibli movie this was actually a movie i remember i was probably in like first second grade and this was kind of the first movie that i ever watched as a kid that like really introduced me to like death and what that exactly meant this and movie kind gets of, violent and not only yeah exactly like this was uh the first movie because i mean i watched like spirited away um totoro kiki's stuff like that growing up but i mean there's a very like light-hearted movies even spirited away is very light-hearted for a movie about like kind of the afterworld um and this movie like there's like blood like people people legit like get L- fucked yeah, up in this movie limbs are lost mm-hmm. and i watched this movie as a kid and it almost kind of scared me a little bit but like i loved this movie and this is the first time i've seen this movie in probably about 4 or 5 years i try and re- oh, wow. revisit it every couple years um i own the blu-ray of it but and this was actually the first time i ever saw it in english which i will say that the dub is actually pretty good for this for the most part Billy um, Bob Thornton's in there um. Yeah. So if I was gonna pick one nit with this movie, it's with the Jigo character because I think other than that, um, this is one of the best written like movies that I ever, especially as a kid. But even just revisiting it, everybody in this movie you sympathize with. Um, like really every single person. Like even whenever you're talking about um uh, Lady Lady Ibosha, like she or Lady Iboshi, she really is like. A genuinely good person she went out and saved all these women from brothels to like give them actual work she like bandaged up lepers which she took all these people who were outcast and basically put on the back burner of society and gave them jobs but unfortunately these jobs came in compl- like direct uh conflict with san with princess Manoke's character and kind of destroying this whole uh this whole beautiful forest that we have here that all the animals live off of like i really think this movie is like an absolute masterpiece it's Mm -hmm. it's absolutely beautiful yeah well i take it a step further because i come from a native american background where my mom when we would see a dead animal on the side of the road she would like pluck its wings out or like take its fur and make it into some type of clothing so that we would like understand that the spirit of the animal is gone so let's celebrate that spirit through wearing parts of its body like I grew up like that so I'm not religious by any means but when I watch this movie I have a very intimate and spiritual like reawakening because every single thing about this movie is what I believe society like personifies like everything that we are is because of this life and death game that happens where we put out what we take in and vice versa and this movie is that 
this this um I'm sorry I'm terrible with names. What's the main character guy's name? Uh, Ashitaka. Ashitaka. He basically is the young handsome prince who is supposed to carry on the weight of the next generation because everyone's getting older and they're and oh wait are we supposed to do spoilers right now? Are we yeah, we can kind of get into a little bit of spoilers. Yeah, it's a twenty-one-year-old movie, yeah. so if you haven't, you seen, haven't it, seen it, yeah. if you haven't seen it by see now, it, it's a masterpiece. If not, um, skip ahead and uh, hear my thoughts on Tom Cruise's <laughs> sweet-ass fucking biceps. <laughs> well, Ashitaka basically is carrying this village at a certain point, and he gets immediately he's approached with this demon that's coming out of the forest with full anger, and they can feel it through the animal's anxiety. Like there, you can already tell in scene one that these people are so intuitive, especially when it comes to nature. And then he, Prince Ashitaka gets touched by this demon, and he starts to feel like feel this like disease taking over his body. And the medicine woman says, "You need to leave this village. I'm sorry. Like you need to figure out what your fate is." So he has to cut his ponytail off, and that symbolizes like the next generation's over. Fast forward, he meets this town with this village of people who are living off of this coal that they're mining and turning into weapons, and they're having this direct uh, fight with this with nature, with San and her wolf tribe, and they're fighting because at the end of the day, they're fighting over territory and things that really don't matter if they actually learned how to work together and get along. And Ashitaka sees both sides and he understands and he's the liaison between the audience understanding because immediately you want to go for, you know, the wolf people. But then you see these these smiling faces who are only surviving because of this evil. And you immediately want to pause the movie and pace around your room because you're like I don't know whose side I'm on yeah yeah no I mean you're exactly right that I feel like that that's the beauty of this movie is that you're kind of stuck in this inner struggle of do you root for mankind or do you root for nature in which includes mankind and sometimes those two things come at war with each other I mean like the day and age that we live in now people are just so destructive and careless with their environment and in a lot of ways I think that Ashitaka is the absolute perfect protagonist because he's extremely neutral the whole time. Like he's literally just kind of out there to help create peace and to help rid evil of the world. That's his whole goal is just to kind of make the world a better place, which he doesn't exactly have the most dynamic character in a, in a way, but um, another way he kind of does because this yeah, is such a polarized community. No, but also, I mean, that's, him not being part of these two polarized extremes is what makes it so special is that there's that one scene when they're in the village and he knocks out San and then he immediately knocks out Lady Iboshi. He's just like, no. Oh, like, when, when they're trying to stop. fight yeah. each other. She's like, yeah. we're, we're not going to have any fighting. It's only going to yeah. breed more hatred and more evil. And I think that this this idea really, really comes through in the climax of the movie, which is definitely my favorite part of the movie when the the deer god is beheaded and he turns into the nightcrawler like my jaw was on the floor during it's this entire one, it's sequence it's truly like i think it's probably the most beautiful animation that i've oh, ever seen it's, in, and it's in, all hand drawn dude but but what you have here is ashitake like you know trying to save eboshi's life because she's been 
basically what was it her arm is cut off yeah and she's about to be like murdered like destroyed by the deer god mm-hmm. but he saves her and and you're like oh my god this guy is so good to save this lady that just beheaded a god and then <laughs> you under you also understand why san is fucking pissed at him mm-hmm. that he would protect that he would you know try to save eboshi and protect her like you see you're you're immediately in the climax of this epic epic center piece of of the film you understand both sides and you're there from two completely different angles of the situation Mm -hmm. it's amazing and and both sides like fought so blindly like queen eboshi she literally was offered money from the emperor and she didn't care she went blindly into the forest because she wanted to prove that that they were going to outlive any god. She had no she had no intention of taking the money, but she blindly marched, took off the head and just handed it over. And then San on the other hand blindly runs with the boars into the the flames knowing that she will most likely die with those boars but she's so stubborn because she's fighting so hard for her side and that in itself is a is a symbol of war and how blind and like like selfish it is and then just the fact that they saved queen iboshi on the back of a wolf symbolizes that that's the only way you can conquer hate is swallowing all of your pride and that um the other piece that adds to that is the perfect perfect line that kind of sums up the whole movie is when they talk about how it is a human hand that must return the head to the god yeah even though humans destroyed all of this it's only up to the humans yeah but when it comes down to it humans are nature like yeah. we are still a factor in this whole big machine, even if we do come in contact with each other. Like I, that's almost in a weird way. I, I like keep going back and forth in my head on the character of a uh, Jigo who was uh, Jigo. I I can't remember exactly how it's pronounced, but the character who Billy Bob Thornton plays in the uh, dubbed version, um, because he's really the most one dimensional of the story. Um, in that he is a character who's only motivated by greed and by getting money or a pardon from uh, the emperor so he can go on with his life but in a lot of ways I almost feel like he's kind of the ultimate representation for what man is in that we have become such a society that is so motivated solely by greed and solely by uh, self-propagation of just getting ourselves on a higher level that we don't care about the outcome of nature even the outcome of other people because we're so worried about putting ourselves on a higher pedestal well i think because this film is so rooted in gray areas and it kind of like is about that and it thrives in that that no no answer is clear cut mm-hmm. you can definitely apply that to to Jig, to jigo jigo yeah. jigo because yes that's true what you're saying about the greed but it's it's just a matter of survival for him. Yeah. If you just put him yourself in, in his situation, all he's doing is just trying to survive, which is what anyone in this in this movie is doing. Like all of the violence and everything that that happens is a detriment to humans and to nature. It's just a matter of survival. It's just a matter of anyone's interest to, to live. Mm-hmm. 
and it sucks that that results in violence but that's just the reality of of how fucked up yeah, the world I, is i think the the number one thing that even as a child i realized is the source of so much misinformation is that when you look at the side characters that weren't really featured that much like the boars or like the monkeys that were like trying to repair the forest they all became really ignorant and just like blindly following remember they tried to like eat the, the eat yeah ashitaka and they were just like if we eat him we'll become like him and it's like they start to be so desperate for understanding the fucked up ways of the world that they start to become even more ignorant looking for the answers and just supporting whatever comes in their path and they that doesn't remind me of anything that's happening right now right right? yeah (laughs) that's exactly it it's like this movie was so ahead of its time I mean, so. I, I think you could say that with a lot of Miyazaki's films. The, he, he, This is what I love the most about him is not only is he able to craft something so visually inventive and creative and beautiful, but the subject matter is so timeless that the, the, the themes that he captures really speak to the, the entire of human history and society and everything. Like This is a master filmmaker and he mm-hmm. is able to put out such beautiful just almost it, it this movie's literally handcrafted you know and, and it comes across that way and you're able to see these really inventive unique concepts perfectly realized perfectly visualized i mean the thing that immediately jumps to my head are the little clicking spirits yeah the the, mm-hmm. the forest spirits or the tree spirits I, who who would think of that? Who would think of that and visualize it that way? I just and, love whenever you see him running and you see their little like four spirit butts, yeah. just like running around. It's just like it's and that, it, that's what makes this movie awesome is that it still has that kind of classic Ghibli charm to it, where it's like yeah, you can make a stuffed animal out of that, yeah. but it's not like in like a porg kind of hey, Star man, Wars. Don't hate on porgs now. I'm just drawing another similarity <laughs> over to like. American Hollywood, yeah. like kind of that similarity where we put cute things just for the sake of being cute. And or they think sometimes. of they think of the toy first, and then and then they no. incorporate it into the story. No. And I, I that's just why this movie just works for me. Like I really think that this movie is just an absolute masterpiece. It's my favorite Ghibli movie because, as we've kind of talked about before, there's so many layers to this movie, and you can unpack this movie on so many different ways. Whether it is an environmental story or a social commentary or just a straight up story about survival or you can even take it on its face value and look at it for what it is without analyzing any of the deeper metaphors and it still works on that level too and I think that's what makes truly great cinema is for it to work on a multitude of different levels. Do you have any final thoughts Lee? I would just say that being one with nature as I try to be as much as possible (laughs) like nature is fun and it's 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 silly and it's sweet and so the characters and those little those little clicky forest spirits to me they were like playing with Ashitaka when they had like the big one on the little one's back trying to crawl up the hill like that scene to me when I'm out in nature that's what I feel I feel like this innocence and joy and for some reason this genius could put that into a film and display that it to me blows my mind. For those of you who can't see, a little bluebird just landed on <laughs> Lee's shoulder, and she's just like. <laughs> and I voted for Bernie. Flowers are just growing out of her Bernie Sanders poster. And I took her. your life away. 
But all it's right. all about the circle of life. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully we'll get to talk more about Miyazaki Studio Ghibli films in the future. Cause but we won't be using MoviePass to do it. Rip. Aww. All right. Well, we'll be right back and uh, we'll be talking about uh, some guy named Thomas Cruz. Who is that? I don't know. I think he wants to I- splatter on the ground from a high altitude. Is that the guy who plays Hawkeye? Oh, Jeremy Renner? We'll be back. John Voight. Oh, it's John. Well, John Voight plays the main guy. Dustin Hoffman's in it, and he's oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Absolutely incredible. Uh, John Voight. The only reason why he didn't win Best Actor is because him and Dustin Hoffman were both nominated for Best Actor. Wow. Even though Dustin Hoffman should have been nominated Thank for Best you. Supporting Actor, but um, it won a uh, it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Writing. Speaking of John Voight. You guys know I. Um, he was in Mission I, Impossible One. So by I Brian didn't. Palma. I didn't bring this up because um, I wanted to kind of talk about it whenever we got more into our review. But uh, I actually did a rewatch for the first Mission Impossible. Nice. Like right, I, I left the theater watching Fallout, and I immediately went home and watched the first. Nice. We're we're back, by the way. Oh oh hi. We were supposed to enter with a funny story or something, but well, this is kind of funny. You saw the original Mission Impossible. That's ha um, ha ha ha. <laughs> That's good. Um, this movie's great. Like I, I kind of forgot how good this movie is because, especially when you consider where this franchise goes, this is an espionage movie. Oh yeah. Like this is basically like kind of in between Ocean's Eleven and like Jason Bourne level, and not Fast and Furious level. <laughs> like where it's so low scale, but in a lot of ways, it, 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 it's not. I wouldn't say it's the best filmed uh, Mission Impossible, but I would argue that it might be the best directed Mission Impossible just because Brian De Palma, I mean, he's legendary. And what he does in this movie is really, really, like, spectacular of kind of turning a whole franchise on its head. I mean, the first uh, the first act of this movie is totally unexpected. All the Prague where it stuff. goes. Everything that happens in Prague and, like... <laughs> Tom Cruise does the original. Um, they knew. They knew. Yeah. My team is dead. Yeah. They're dead. They're all dead. And I, I, I love how in Fallout. I mean, we'll we'll get into it, but like the journey that Ethan Hunt goes through in Fallout harkens back to that original Mission Impossible and how he lost his entire team mm-hmm. in an instant. So you really get the sense that like his whole career, his whole life is defined by that first film, by him having his entire team die within the first 
half hour of the first movie. It's so like it's funny to rewatch that movie because uh, how the movie starts is it has that whole like getting the gang together scene where they plot out how they're going to do the whole thing and they're all just cracking jokes at each other and everything else. And then twenty minutes, everybody is fucking dead yeah. except for Ethan Hunt. It, it was it, they Deadpool two it before Deadpool two. No, it was like so. Alien. Like alien, or alien. Know yeah, there's, that yeah, she yeah. was gonna be the main character, and that's that's, that's a good so that's a good uh, parallel actually. You're, because you're, you're totally right because in that first scene when you introduce the team, you don't they, there's no close up on Tom Cruise. No, you can't like think it. John Voight is going to be like the lead star uh-huh. of this whole thing because yeah. I mean Jim Phelps, who the character he plays, was kind of the lead yeah. one of the lead guys in the TV my, show. My main gripe with that original film is the third act. I don't think the whole helicopter chasing the train thing <laughs> holds up. I don't think it, it works. Not, especially because whenever you think about it, this movie was made today, Tom Cruise would literally be like flying a helicopter <laughs> inside hanging of a onto train. an actual high speed train. Yeah, I will say that hasn't aged the best, but like. I, I kind of love how hammy it is and everything with the character of Max. Like, Max was the original Elsa in the series where she's this female character who acts as uh, Tom Cruise's equal without actually being on the same team as him. And she fucking puts him in this place, in his place at multiple points in this movie. Also, this is something that the rewatchable said, but in 1996 having your antagonist be a female was a massive twist. Yeah. Like it was a Her huge name is deal. Max. Like you're not expecting that watching that yeah. the first time. So Lee, you and I watched through this whole series leading up to fallout. It's all been leading up to this. You know, you, you didn't make it through every single movie. You tapped out on, Mission Impossible 2. Why did you have to call That's me fair. Out? That's fair. I mean, Mission Impossible 2. That's the, I saw if, those tits and I was like, get a grip. Fandy Newton. I mean, she's a good actress. No, no, literally. The scene where they're above her breasts. The camera, and you yeah. see John Tom Cruise's face in, in between movie. her cleavage. <laughs> and it's like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. I'm yeah, not watching this. Well, they're, and they're I just trying to sleep. hide in a bathtub. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it was bad. But if you're going to tap out on any movie, it's it's going to be Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. Although you did miss out on the motorcycle versus motorcycle climactic action finale. I, I a little bit of a preview out. for Fallout. Yeah. I peeked exactly. in that one. Because so, I mean, pretty much every movie he's on a motorcycle, right? Right. But in this one, you have him going up against someone else in a motorcycle. Two. And then for one. they joust while they're on motorcycles. That's a great scene. Yeah. That's I'm a sure really that was the majority cool of the trailer so, when it came out. Oh, well, no. Actually, the trailer Tom was Tom Cruise, Cruise. on the cliff? Yeah, it was Tom Cruise free climbing on the cliff. Um, So, what are your thoughts on the other Mission Impossible movies that you've yeah. seen? The third one was awesome. That's your favorite, isn't it? The first one was great until the helicopter and train scene. And then I was like, I'm gone. I mean, that, that Langley... It uh, stops right in. It, a, like a hair away from his Adam's apple. Oh, and the like, rotor, yeah. That is just bad. <laughs> so bad. But that's Mission Impossible. No. No, it's that's, not. That's what the whole series is supposed no, to be. No, that is Mission. Get the fuck out of my face Only with that. Only Ethan Hunt is able to get away with that. Wow. But but come on, tell us what you thought of the series as a whole. Like, as what, a whole? We watched all of them leading up to Fallout. What did you get from it? Do you want the pros or cons? Let's hear it. All right. So pros, 
I like that there were different directors up until this last one, and they, they still kind of told the same story. Yeah. Honestly, like every single one, they think that like someone's always Hunt disavowed. Is, yeah, yeah, somebody's always disavowed. Somebody's always like sketchy up in the the upper levels there's of government. Some, yeah, there's some major threat to the whole major world. threat to the whole the whole world. They couldn't even do just like one like country. It had to be the whole world. Anyway, moral of the story is well, I mean, in the third one. I've it's come just up, it's just his wife well yeah that one was that one was great but i've come up with an algorithm now that i've seen this new movie and i don't know if you're ready to hear it let's hear it um well i said the pros the cons are that they freaking do way too much over and over too, like overplay things so i came up with this algor- algorithm that expresses what i feel people who commonly watch uh, Mission Impossible, which, by the way, I started interviewing people after I saw Fallout because I wanted to know. Like, I needed to know the truth. So One I lady s- said Mission Impossible 2 was her favorite. Baby, you just took my story. Damn. Oh, fuck. I was it's so excited to tell that part. That was the climax. I now don't have to listen anymore. <laughs> I can just tune out. I went up to her, desperate, looking in her eyes, just wanting to Where hear, why are you here? Where did you do this interview? I was a little drunk. I was at a Loma Cinnamon Grill. <laughs> okay. I ran up to this lady like she was still she was reading the credits. This lady was reading the credits. I knew Yo, she was an advent. She was like, I love Tom Cruise. So she, I ran up to her. I said, what? She's what, a Scientologist. Did you like it? And if not, what was your favorite? And she was like, it was all right. But number two is my favorite. And I like yelled at her. I'm like, what? <laughs> and this lady's just like, argues, like instantly starts arguing. She's like, I like number two. Is that okay? Like, I like number two and that's the best one. You Probably because she's just like just some random woman. You started assaulting her preference on film. <laughs> she's then, like, who the fuck are you? No, Get out no, of my face. No, like she's had to defend that before. <laughs> but then I go outside where Ernest is going to the bathroom and I see these cute little two Asian ladies and I'm like, okay. So I asked an African-American lady, I'm going to ask this nice little Asian lady and figure out maybe there's something different in the way we're brought up culturally. And I ask her, and she's like, hello. I go, what's your favorite one? And what did she say, baby? The one with the... uh, Ghost Protocol, I think. Ghost Protocol. And she was like, it's really him. He's almost 70. (laughs) It's really him. And I'm thinking like... If you round up, I guess. I'm like, like, (laughs) like, I thought he was like 40, honestly. He's 56. Yeah. Dude, you got round up a little bit, but that's a big 70. deal. So I've come out with this algorithm now that I've interviewed people, and ninety-eight um, percent of the people who are going to see this movie want to see if Tom Cruise is going to do something where he dies. Like people want to see him literally break an ankle. They should have left that part in the movie. They, it, they, they actually did. did. They did. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> people, okay, so I saw this at a screen, not to interrupt, but I saw this movie at a screener with people who like watch movies and everything. At the scene where he actually breaks his ankle, there was an audible like, oh, like oh. in the whole theater, like because people oh. were aware it's, of what was it's happening. It's when he's in London running, he's running a, the roofs. Jumping the roof. And it's a long take of him running the roofs and he jumps and he like kind of misses it, but you see his ankle, ankle. like hit the Ew. side of the building pretty hard. Oh no. Yep. Well, that's ninety eight percent of those people are just going there to be like, I wanna see if this guy like smashes his face in. Um and then I truly believe that and I know you guys are gonna talk a little crap, but I feel like product placement like every single time i saw a bmw or like a land rover drive by in slow motion i was like that's how they paid for that uh jumping out of the airplane scene 
you know, like that product placement gets under my skin every movie I see it in and it just, it's very noticeable. And then I felt that another 2% were those people who have seen every single Mission Impossible and wanted to see the corny things that were like, I'm ripping off my face again in every single movie, like the nostalgia I mean, that's, of that. That's part of, that's gotta be in a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah. So we're at 102%. Right okay. <laughs> and then I okay, so I wrote this under the influence, but I, I also figured that 5% of the people are waiting for that switch. 107%. Like the switch <laughs> on the switch on the switch like the but you gotta switch it at one second left it's gotta be like oh my god he's the enemy or is he or is he in a mask waiting to become the enemy like what and so that switch is what we're all waiting well that doesn't happen in every movie oh it happened in this last one like there were three or four switches i thought this was a, a an algorithm for all the movies Baby, there's a switch in every movie. There's a there's switch some in every kind movie. of a Deus Ex Machina thing. And but, then um, the last point five percent, because there's two of them, because it really does add up to a hundred. I just don't know how. One hundred and ten. Yeah, um, the which romance and relationship nostalgia, which is kind of a subset of the corny nostalgia, and then the sexy like sexual tension of like the Asian chick walking out of the Lamborghini with her tiny little dress on, like all the way up to her ass cheek, and she's like walking in Rome, where you think people are gonna fucking stare at her in real life because everybody in Rome is actually kind of conservative, but on the movie screen, you're waiting to see that little bit of ass cheek. <laughs> That's the point five percent that I want to bring up right now. If only it was JJ would have directed that, and then we would have gotten or John Woo. John Woo would have gone. So, on. so now that you know, we know your your algorithm. Yeah. What did you think of the movie? I thought it was great. I actually would see it again. <laughs> <laughs> I would see it again just because um, I finally feel like I get it. Like, I get why people are going. I like to be typically challenged when I watch a movie. I like to, I like my brain to hurt because I've been thinking too much. This is just fun and I'm ready to watch it because I'm going to see shit explode and I'm going to see that, I'm going to see that van go down an alley so tight and actually get stuck because in every cliche European movie, the spy never gets stuck in the alleyway and they're going to get stuck and then they're going to jump out and there's going to be two perfect motorcycles waiting there to be mounted and ridden off into this crazy epic chase scene. That's why you watch Mission Impossible. Yeah, okay, that's true. <laughs> So, um, Hunter, what did you think of Mission Impossible Fallout, directed by, written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie? So, um, I'm just gonna kind of, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see where I fit in in your algorithm here because, um, I've been sitting on a hot take, guys. Oh, I've had this hot take since I saw this movie on Monday, and I'm ready to kind of you share saw it, it to twice, the world. though, right? Yeah, but uh, specifically seeing it uh, before it released. Before anybody else ever had this hot take, I was the first one. Oh. <laughs> uh, your screener. Guys, I'm ready to say it. Mission Impossible is the greatest movie franchise. It's what? the best and the most reliable movie franchise. Think about it. Think about it, guys. I mean, of course, we can kind they're, of knock out. We can easily knock out. They're five fa- We can easily knock out uh, Fast and Furious and Transformers, all those DC, knock those out immediately. So then you're kind of looking at Marvel and the Star Wars engine. Harry Potter. I hate X Men. 
X Men, I definitely. I, X Men has I had some down. real stinkers. X Men has oh, had well, it there later on 50, 50, it, mm, even in the original trilogy. Spider Man. Um, Spider. Ooh, Spider Man has had some stinkers. Yeah. Too. So, I if we're talking about just like the main engines right now that we have of franchises are Marvel and Star Wars. Marvel um, is consistently putting out okay to completely forgettable movies and very very rarely do you get a movie that transcends that mm-hmm. very rarely especially there so 20 if we're looking at in, if we're looking so. at the hit rate of that we're probably at around like 25 to 50 yeah. percent of movies that are actually that like good. Right. now let's think about star wars drew brought up this take and it 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 outraged it made me cry <laughs> but he was right it all very along. upset me no but Drew was right about Star Wars. Yeah. About There's one, the whole, one great one, two great ones. Two great ones, and then... Two good ones, and like four okay to bad ones. I would say probably two okay ones, and then probably, for including Rogue One Star, and Solo in here, like four to five bad ones. Yeah, like, so overall this it's is a, a fine... Yo, what about Harry This Potter? is a fine to a below average thing. Harry Potter. Though. Harry Potter. I'm going to talk it's about. It's a little hotter. It's a little bit it's more. It's a up there. little bit higher, but I still feel like um, it's. Epic. It has it has the book problem to it, though. Wow. I mean, it's the thing with a lot of things is I read it and I'm just like, that was cool, but this wasn't nearly as cool as it was in the book. I only I feel like uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is the only truly great uh, Harry Potter movie. Goblet of Fire. I'm big fan of the first one's fun, but it's very much a book movie where there's just all these like look at this thing and look at this thing don't worry we'll dig into it in future movies let's not worry about it now and that's none of them I wouldn't say any of the Harry Potter movies are a complete story if you know what I mean yeah um Mission Impossible um you say they're five for six and I do agree with you they're five for six on good movies Mission Impossible 2 I still I still enjoy that movie that's still a fun movie like it is Overall, I would rather watch Mission Impossible than all but one or two Fast and Furious movies, mm-hmm. except for maybe Fast Five. I don't even know if there's another Fast and Furious movie that I'd rather put on that's more rewatchable than Mission Impossible 2. Yeah. Um, I've said before, I've always been a big fan of this franchise, but it kind of came to this realization of me, this hot take that I came up with, which is getting colder and colder by the minute, because now I'm seeing articles by The Ringer and Vulture that are like, this is the most reliable franchise in Hollywood. I'm like, fuck you, I had this take first. (laughs) I mean, could you have a better movie star leading your franchise than Tom Cruise? He just radiated, like, there's an argument to be made that he's the greatest American actor that we have right now. I'm so angry. Right now. I mean, it's true. Like, who else I'm is who else is willing to literally jump out of a fucking airplane? Okay. Who is willing? Who is willing times? to learn how to ride to pilot a helicopter when they tell him that it takes three months? And he says, and he's like, three months? Why does it take that long? And they're like, oh well, that's if you do eight hours a day for for five days of the week and he's just like well what do I do with the other 16 hours of the day so instead he finished that in half of the time he learned how to pilot a helicopter in a month and a half yeah so what do you think of the movie? No, I, I honestly, I, this movie was okay. It was all right. I did, I didn't think it was very good. It's no Justice League. It just, I get it. Like I'm part of that 98 percent that just wants to see Tom Cruise like do some radical shit. But at the same time, Tom Cruise will never make me genuinely cry. 
on on screen like not somebody's never seen jerry Maguire or rain man i have Mm. and it didn't like it it didn't sell me it does he never sells me like leo you know he doesn't sell me i don't feel hatred for his nemesis in the film i feel like his face is the same throughout most of the movie kind of like uh What's that one guy from Constantine? What's his name? Keanu. Keanu Reeves. Like same. Oh, now like, you about to shit on one Keanu note, and Tom. Like one Tom note, one note kind of guy that I I honestly can understand every once in a while. Like in the third one where he was actually kind of being romantic with his wife, I got a subtle hint of ooh that guy's kind of attractive. But he's like a robot. But he's not actually a human. He is. He's, he's so, so incapable stale. of like. He doesn't make me feel like he feels pain when he's climbing up those rocks on that steep mountain. He's meant to. I be just a spy. think he's like he's just like I'm here and I'm Tom Cruise and I'm crawling up this mountain. Okay, so um. Going back a little bit, because I have many, many Tom Cruise thoughts. Um, a lot of them are too explicit for this They're podcast. So hot thoughts. Hot thoughts. So um, I, I'm not going to lie with you guys. This is currently my favorite movie of the year. Uh, nice. I like, when I'm talking, I've seen, a quiet I've place. seen what are, A Quiet Place, I don't even know is in my top 10. Um, so I've seen movies that I would say are better than this. Um, I would say that Hereditary is a better film than this. I would say First Reformed is a better film than this. But whenever I'm talking about my personal favorite, what I had the most fun with, I there's only a couple of movies in my life whenever I think about best theater experiences. I think about Get Out. I think about The Dark Knight. Seeing these movies in theater, being there in the atmosphere, that's how I felt. I felt like I was on the ride. I was there on the motorcycle with Tom Cruise. And it's all because he's actually doing this shit. He's actually going out there. He purposefully rides a motorcycle at super speed, weaving through traffic without a fucking helmet to prove to you, hey, I'm fucking Tom Cruise and I'm doing this. Because if you put a helmet on him, then it could be anybody. It could be anybody. But Tom Cruise is so – he wants to prove to you that action – like being an action star is not dead and that kind of commitment to his craft is unlike anything else it's pretty much unparalleled and what he does i just i have such an admiration for him taking away all the personal things aside because he's kind of a crazy person but looking at him purely as an artist what he does is is art and like he is saving an art form and mission impossible has become his legacy because he made a choice going into the 21st century that this is what was going to define him. Before the turn of the century, he was trying to get an Oscar with Raymond and Jerry Maguire and Magnolia and all of these really kind of artsy films. And he hasn't done that since because now what he's about is just putting himself in danger just because he likes it like he wants he he genuinely likes to do these crazy things because he feels like it makes for a better movie going experience and it and it does like fallout proves that him jumping out of an airplane flying a helicopter riding this motorcycle holding his breath swinging around the tallest building in the world like all these you know, hanging out to the side of an airplane, whatever string of things he's done, the fact that it's him doing it and that he's giving it 110% every time, 
it makes for a better film. It just does. And in a world where the biggest action set pieces that we see every year come from a Marvel movie in which it's all just taking place on a green screen and everything CGI'd, that's what I think makes this the best blockbuster that I've seen. I mean, since Mad Max, of course, that's the last huge action movie. But in a lot of ways, this is more of a classical summer blockbuster than uh, Mad Max Fury Road was. Um, but yeah. it, you, it feels very real. Like, you don't ever feel for a moment like you're stuck out of it. When they... I mean, it's it's in the... I, I don't want to get too, too specific on the set pieces until we get into spoilers. But when they jump out of a, uh airplane together and... It's all continuously shot in one take. You can tell there's no like real trickery happening there. Yeah. They're actually filming that with a fucking IMAX camera jumping out of a halo. Yeah. Like 25,000 feet. That's unfucking believable. You can't that fake that. that. <laughs> yes, you cannot fake that. You I guess I guess I so see that now. Like this movie made me see that and I admired it and I came home beaming about that specific part of it but thinking back the plot in itself I feel could be a little bit more complex yeah we can talk they, more about the plot because it's not I mean these movies are not about the plot. it's not a that it, yeah it I mean, almost makes it like the campiness takes me out of it in the fact that it has the potential to be this super twisted super complicated like mind fuck it could be but instead there they're like, oh, look, I'm a spy. I got this cool gadget. It's like I, I kind of wanted a little bit more complexity. But at the same time, I'm totally taken aback by the action. Which, you know, I I should make it clear that just because a movie is mainly done in computer generated effects doesn't mean it's inferior. Like, you know, all all four um visual effects artists and all the people the the huge huge teams that work on these movies Mm -hmm. that painstakingly like devote their lives to being digital artists like that's an art form Mm -hmm. with itself i mean look at infinity war the 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 visual effects in that movie are they're amazing they're they're pushing the industry forward but there just isn't another franchise there's another movie like mission impossible that's taking these risks we're we're in a in a in a world you know cinematically now where it's just safer to do everything in front of a green screen it's just cheaper it's more cost effective it's it's less of a risk and the fact that there's this one series that is just pushing the envelope in terms of what is possible what they're willing to do in front of a camera I find it so admirable. And I think Can I fuck your day up right now? Like what if that's a whole other part of like slavery right there? Is that like like actors feel pressure to do things to risk their lives to kind of get a, a one up in the in the media? Like, oh, well, I mean, I know that I it, I I do kind of get what you're saying, but Tom Cruise like he is an executive producer on these films. He actually made the decision that he wanted to fly a helicopter into another helicopter. He made like these decisions yeah. that he wants to do these. Like he's putting his own life on line. It's not like a thing where like Christopher McQuarrie like locked him down in a room like he was in a Mission Impossible movie. It was like, listen to me, Tom. You're gonna sign this contract. 
Yeah. You're going to fucking die watching no, yeah. this and, movie. And uh, he, yeah. the original Mission Impossible was the first movie Tom Cruise ever produced. Mm-hmm. So he single-handedly like shepherded this project into what it is today. He handpicked the directors that were going to work mm-hmm. on these films because he admired their work and he knew that it would benefit the series to have a different director come in and put their stamp on it and, and have these widely differently, these tonal shifts throughout the series where they kind of got the chance to be these exhibitions for up and coming or, 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 you know, legendary directors. Um, but I, I, I really think we should, we should get into the movie. Yeah. I, I I don't want to, I don't want to completely shit all over the plot because I actually think that the plots of these films are getting better well, and better as the series goes. I mean, on. leading into that, you know, this this point that I was just making about um, Tom Cruise being a producer. If you go and and listen to interviews with McQuarrie and and you read about this, you you realize that. Um, I don't know if this was entirely the case with the earlier films, but especially with Rogue Nation and Fallout, they knew what stunts they wanted to do they knew the building blocks of the set pieces and of the action sequences and the story and the plot they kind of just figured it out as they were shooting it's one of those things that i mean not really other movies can either do this or number one or b definitely don't pull it off well it um, it speaks to the talent of tom cruise and christopher mccrory as collaborators and I think that's what excels here. That's what makes Rogue Nation and Fallout the two best movies in the series because the, they've been learning with each movie how to improve, how to get better with each one, what to leave out, what to build upon. And it's gotten to the point where like this is just as good as it gets. And mm-hmm. in Fallout, you have so many moments that harken back to and build upon all of the events of the of the series with like these character moments and, and these interactions between characters that mean more because you've gotten to know them through the course of six other movies. So I, I loved fallout. I genuinely love this movie. I think it is definitely one of the best films of the and year. We've been hyping up this movie so much. So for a movie, usually I'm just like set up to kind of be a little bit disappointed in this movie, but I, I was buying all of the hype yeah. for this film, and I still was not. I think I think that there is definitely a ceiling to how good it can be because it's ultimately not really about anything. It's it, it really all it is about is Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise is Ethan Hunt. That that line is it's disappearing as with each movie goes along. So this is a film about Tom Cruise basically showing you through Ethan Hunt how crazy he is Mm. like ethan hunt is a madman and so is tom cruise so they're they're not really about anything so it's not like you can compare it to something like mad max fury road where that movie does have some really deep intellectual societal themes where that movie really transcends the genre but mission possible isn't trying to be anything it's not it's just a movie about amazing mind-blowing stunt action choreography and it's held together by a plot that's serviceable and it makes sense it's not completely nonsensical i mean the script is like the script is good overall like it's funny and it carries it carries over it has some genuinely like kind of surprising things i that's almost kind of a criticism of this movie is 
I we're talking about this as fans. Even Lee, like you've seen the other movies. I don't know, like if you're just like a regular guy who's never seen a Mission Impossible movie, I don't know if you can jump right in on Fallout because there's a lot of plot things that yeah. are kind of. I mean, they catch you up on some things. It's caught up, but it's very in like a yada yada way mm-hmm. that if you weren't somebody who's familiar with the franchise, you'd be like, okay, but. Like, who is this guy? Why do I care about him? Because it kind of relies on you bringing that in. But, I mean, it's it's a franchise at the same time. Literally every single franchise does that. Yeah. So, I, I don't... It's kind of... It's also, taking nits. I love that I stayed away from all the trailers because I generally did know that Solomon Lane was coming back as the villain. So, that was a nice surprise to be like, oh, my God, they they kept him alive for a reason. He's well, back in this I one. I don't want to – there's there's another thing that I had no idea that uh, a certain character was coming back um, that I'll talk about in spoilers because I didn't know that he was – that uh, they were coming back. So, I don't want to surprise anybody. Aren't we in spoilers right now? Not yet. No, not quite yet. Um, mm, just the tip. So, uh, overall, uh, do you guys want to move into spoilers? Do y'all have any more spoiler three thoughts? I, I mean, this movie's going to make a ton of money. A lot of people are going to see it, despite the, the great movie pass death of uh, <laughs> summer 2018. If you have movie pass, just do yourself a favor. Check into to Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, because at this point, you know you're not seeing it. So Yeah, I, I love it. I think it's it's truly probably the best movie of the, of the whole series. You have a... I, I agree. Um, you, a rating? Are you ready to rate it? I mean, I, I give it a really, really strong eight. I think it doesn't quite get to a nine just simply because it ultimately doesn't... You don't leave the theater like thinking about anything really too deep or intellectual or, or really viscerally emotional or anything like that. You're like, I was, I was entertained. It was a thrill ride. It was a very well made well crafted amazingly put together action film mm. so it's a it's a very very strong eight yeah before i met you i would have said a six <laughs> i started dating you now i say a seven but then after i saw that jumping out of the plane scene and i saw that like their faces were really rippling in the wind because they were really fucking jumping out of a plane I was like, this is a solid I mean, eight. Yeah, there's some scenes in here that are like straight up ten out of tens. Like the the bathroom fight. Oh my god, the way that the that music cuts. that's a ten out of ten. The way the music completely. Cuts. I like it when he's Henry running. Cable, like loading up his fucking arms yeah. like also, shotguns. They get their asses kicked. Yeah, yeah. they do. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I I just love it when like Tom Cruise is like just running full speed, <laughs> and it's like. This is Tom Cruise. He's running from death. No, but that's, yeah. that scene is so abnormally long. Like, usually yeah. they would just cut to somebody running really quick and then cut away. It's like, no, we're going to cut and watch him jump and then watch him run for a solid and like, have the 40 camera seconds. Just zoom out so you can yeah. just see this we're just gonna have, huge yeah. landscape. We're going to have a, a nice long tracking shot of and him. You're like, like, does Tom Cruise run like 12 miles a day, like yeah. just preparing for these <laughs> Mind you, he was running on a broken ankle, too. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He jumped out of that plane on a broken ankle. Jeez. I don't see. I don't know. That's too much. At a certain point, it's got to be like, do you ever want to make a movie again? Or are you trying to die? He's trying to die. Okay. Well, then I'll watch it because I'm part of the 98%. Yeah. I just want to see what's going to explode and whether or not Tom Cruise is going to break his nose. (laughs) (laughs) Great movie. Um, I'm, I'm willing to take the leap. 
much like Tom Cruise breaking his ankle, I, I give this movie a nine. Like, oh, I really nice. think it, while you can say it doesn't transcend the genre, I think that this is one of the greatest action movies of the 21st century. It's kind of, it's in like the top 25 greatest action movies of all time. Yeah. While it doesn't necessarily transcend the genre to become like a great drama or a great character study, this kind of perfectly nails what you want from an action genre film like this does it hits every note just right the villain is well not relatable very skeevy in a way that only philip seymour hoffman is the only other villain in the franchise to ever come close to that where i I mean the joker isn't a relatable villain but you like him because he's so methodically played and he's truly like an evil person but it's just it's something about him is very slimy and solomon lane really sean harris really gives that to the solomon lane performance and I, i'm so glad that he came back because just, in in rogue nation he wasn't that memorable but in this one like he comes back and it's like this whole other side to him that you're like oh my god this guy's like actually really compelling yeah i just i really like (laughs) i've seen this movie twice and i've now seen it uh in regular format and dolby i really want to see it in imax i'm probably gonna see this movie like five times i'm gonna check into every possible movie while movie (laughs) pass is still around (laughs) yeah i got a chance to check it out in imax and it was it was great that that helicopter finale in imax is so good yeah it's amazing yeah i I I, can't, I really want to get into spoilers because yeah, I mean do I do it. have I do have some thoughts on everything. Let's do it. Spoilers for Mission Colon Impossible Dash Fallout, starting right now. So, I mean, did you guys know that Rebecca Ferguson was coming back for this? Yeah, I did. Oh, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, Whenever she, she popped up in the very beginning, I was like, holy fuck. Like, yeah. I knew, I heard that, like, oh, this movie has some call-outs to previous Mission Impossible movies. But, like, I thought it would be, like, kind of how in the scene at the end, how it's just, like, him on the cliffside, similar to Mission Impossible 2. Not like we would get Rebecca Ferguson back, who we've only seen Mission Impossible 3 and then in a very, very short cameo. In oh, no, you're, you're talking about uh, Michelle Monaghan. Oh, Michelle Monaghan. Yeah. Sorry, I was mixing up my two characters. Yeah, no, They Michelle look Monaghan. very similar. Yeah, you can tell why it's Tom Cruise's thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had no idea Michelle Monaghan was coming back and to play like a pretty key role yeah. in the story. Yeah, and, and that moment that she has with Luther while he's disarming uh, the bomb. That's a great bomb. moment. Like, it's like this means so much right now because of the history that these two characters have been set up with throughout these movies. Like you, Because you've seen them grow up to this point, you connect with this moment so much more than if you were just going into this movie cold without seeing it. There's, there's so much of that in this movie. Little tiny touches, especially with Tom Cruise's, with, with Ethan Hunt, like... This movie, I think, more than any other Mission Impossible movie, really, truly puts you in the perspective of Ethan Hunt. Like, you really get a sense of how important it is for him to be there for his team and to and to risk his own safety and his own well-being just for the sake of, of, his, of his family, of his team. Like... Yes, he is disarming a bomb that's going to destroy the planet and, and destroy the world, but he's really doing it just to save his friends. And I think this movie does that pretty much dead on flawlessly. Yeah. 
Well, all I know is the beginning scene, like the the opening, really pissed me off a little bit. What? Oh, you didn't the like the very stinger? first shot? Well, not the very first shot. That shot is no, beautiful. that's a beautiful shot. No, 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 I guess I mean like where they're actually like trying to do the trade, yeah, and then with the Luther plutonium. gets taken, and then but what about that Michael Wolf cameo? No, I, Tom Cruise like turns and like shoots, oh. and then it's gone. It, to me, that whole scene was really just overdone and then the fact that they didn't actually communicate and work together because yeah. he could have sent this scrawny guy to go but then get there it. would be no movie yeah yeah i i mean that's not i that's all kind of overlookable i i actually think that this is the best uh sting the best pre-credit stinger of a mission yeah. possible movie just the oh the wolf, scene, wolf blitzer uh, or wolf blitzer sorry i said michael wolf <laughs> totally different person dude that, wolf blitzer that was like so good i could not i couldn't believe that that was happening like it was one of those things that they were like applause in my theater already yeah. like watching this movie whenever that happened and including like i was like holding him i was like yes also yes. like I, this is exactly what i want and we're five minutes into the movie i love how benji gets both of the mask moments yeah. in this movie after <laughs> benji's always been somebody who never gets the mask yeah and he felt oh he gets both of them they uh, did that on purpose one, one thing that I do think is interesting is in a lot of ways Rogue Nation is uh, Ethan and Benji's story and in this movie it's a lot more about Ethan and Luther mm-hmm. which you don't really like that yeah, Luther gets Luther has always been kind of a little bit of a side character like I mean of course he's just a side character to Ethan Hunt like there's no way you can kind of step in when there's that huge of a shadow on you but I mean, he plays a really crucial role, basically getting, uh, like, kidnapped almost twice in the movie. Yeah. The second time, he, like, actually ends up giving Ethan a chance to chase after Henry Cavill, which I guess it's kind of a transition. How about that mustache, though? Yeah. It was worth it. It was worth it. Fuck Justice League. Yeah, I mean... I will dude, sacrifice 10,000 Justice Leagues for another Mission if, Impossible movie. If Tom Cruise is going to break his ankle and jump out of a plane... You, Henry Cavill cannot fucking shave, okay? Yeah, like, that's like, fine. The least you can do is grow a fucking mustache. Come on, dude. Wow. And that's some great facial hair, too. <laughs> it's kind of iconic facial so hair. I, I, at first, Henry Cavill, I thought he was not that great. because oh, he took me out of it. Because Tom Cruise, like, he always gives it 100, 110% in every single scene. And then yeah. you, he's acting against, especially when they're on the plane at the beginning of the movie, right before they jump. I'm like... Henry Cable, what are you doing, dude? No, yeah, especially no. in his un- introductory scene yeah. uh, when they're there with and, Angela Bassett. Uh, Angela Bassett yeah. gets introduced. I was not feeling it, but it, pretty early on, you realize that he's gonna be the bad guy. Like that's that's not a twist at yeah. all. You see it coming. The twist isn't that. The twist comes from the whole reveal of everybody being in on him yeah. being the bad guy. <laughs> exactly like that. Once he actually gets to fully be bad. I loved it. I thought he was great. Yeah, no, I kind of think that Henry Cavill plays a better villain than he does yeah. a, a hero. Because Henry Cavill, I always thought that he was just a straight up a bad actor. And he might still be. Maybe Christopher no, McQuarrie is just that good. Solid. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. just saying that maybe it kind of goes down to having a good director behind him. Because otherwise he's just a pretty face. Because, um, I mean, Justice League. BVS, uh, even Man of Steel, he's very stone-faced and doesn't really show any kind of major chops. He's just there because it's like, yeah, I would assume this is what Superman looks like. <laughs> but I I really think, uh, specifically in the scene where um, we get the big twist of Benji's second mask takeoff moment, 
I really they thought got that, me again. I really thought that that movie. I really thought at that point in the movie it was going to take a turn where it was like, here's a dumb movie scene where it's just like, oh, Ethan's the bad guy. When the audience were like, no, Ethan's the good guy, and they we're gonna have like a whole act of the movie in which people are against Ethan. Yeah. I was expecting it to do that dumb movie thing where the movie just like holds your hand and it's like, here, let's show you why Ethan Hunt is good. Yeah, let's spend twenty minutes and I, just I, like. I, I started to kind of eye roll a little bit where I was like, oh, here comes Alec Baldwin. He's just going to like <laughs> fuck everything up like he always does. Donald Trump, <laughs> SNL, Baldwin. And then it takes like it genuinely I was not expecting yeah. it like that mask reveal of them kind of just checking on him the whole time. Even Angela Bassett's character was kind of in on it well she doesn't trust anyone she doesn't trust anyone she's like any of which is kind be. of understandable because yeah. everybody's just wearing fucking masks so <laughs> i probably wouldn't trust anybody uh, either i thought she was she was solid she was good she had like four yeah. minutes of sw- yeah. screen time so i can't <laughs> and, and half of it opinion. were from facetime yeah <laughs> she just facetime in her role <laughs> hey at least she got to shoot a quick scene in front of the eiffel tower oh yeah i forgot yeah. that she was by the way scene. paris looks beautiful in this film it looks amazing. And that that chase, I think the chase might be my favorite section of the, the movie. The rooftop to chasing Henry Cavill? No, the, the motorcycle. Oh, okay. No, yeah. I like that they do chase scenes inside of buildings and like cathedrals yeah. right in the middle of people's he, like, like funeral. He, he That's a great scene. Like, and, and the little him. the little BMW coupe that he's just like speeding through the city with <laughs> that. That's too so much. Good. I, I love that. Uh, shout out to BMW, our sponsor for the day. Thank you. Um, also, uh, I, I, I um, love the whole scene. It like added kind of humor, like this almost meta layer of humor wherever he's doing the whole rooftop run chasing and he runs through the office building and he's just like, I'm jumping out of a window. Like I'm doing <laughs> like looking crazy at things. And somebody just like they're at that Come point on. they're in London whenever yeah, yeah, they do yeah, the yeah. rooftop chase scene. But um You can do it, man. Come I, I it's kind of tough to name like a favorite set piece from this because this is so chock full of yeah. the best set piece. I think well, there's an argument to be made that I don't think it reaches necessarily the ultimate, ultimate high that the Qaddafi uh, building, Dubai, their the Dubai. Um, oh yeah, climbing. You can't, does. you can't top that. But I, at the same time, I think that this is definitely the most consistent set piece to set yeah, piece. Dude, that you have everything is very different from each other. You too. have the halo jump, the bathroom fight, the chase through Paris, and the um. Than the finale, the fucking helicopter shit. Dude. Like I don't have I I this movie it never it it takes only a handful of moments in the entire film to breathe, and those moments I appreciated because they allowed uh, Rebecca Ferguson, Elsa, which I'm surprised we haven't actually talked about her performance yet, but she was uh, good. She was really good. They kind of allowed that relationship to breathe together and it was the perfect kind of moment in between major set pieces for you to uh see this relationship between them flourish in a unique way that's not one of those things where she's not necessarily just uh the woman who is tandy newton and mi2 who's just fawning over tom cruise and she's not just like the classic uh, femme fatale where she's just like, I'm badass and nobody else. Yeah, she like, has you know, her like, own story going she on. She genuinely does. And I would watch a spinoff film of just about her story with MI6. Although I, I did think that 
she was a little bit more interesting in Rogue Nation than in Fallout. I think in Rogue Nation, you got a little bit more of a sense of her having her own motivations and her own shit to deal with. In this one, she became involved with the uh, IMF mission pretty easily well, just yeah. because of Solomon Lane being, you know, directly yeah, the target. Yeah, in Rogue Nation, you really don't know where her allegiances lie for the majority of that movie. Yeah. Like, it's really just, like, almost like, I mean, she ends up becoming a reliable narrator, but you're watching it expecting for her to just kind of go against and turn on Ethan in some kind of a way. And in this movie, you're right, she is a little bit more straightforward on his team, but she's still doing her own side thing. At one point, she's, like, shooting at the fucking yeah. car that he's driving. Like, it's not like they're just, like, fucking hopelessly in love with each other in this that film. Was, that was actually a really good moment when uh, Solomon Lane finally speaks for the first time, and he's like, that was Ilsa. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I didn't like the blonde chick. Oh, yeah, the White Widow? She pissed me off. Why? Because she was so, like, she she appealed to the ditzy chicks that are probably going with their boyfriends to go see this, and they really don't want to be there because they want to go get their nails done. And then they're in the theater, and they're like, I can relate to her. She's cool. Well, she was insane. She, like, killed dudes with her knife. Yeah, we're all a little yeah. scary Okay, sometimes. so uh, <laughs> shout out to that nightclub where, like, if you go just on the outside of it, it's like people like tripping balls like yeah. at this crazy nightclub. And then you just go into this back room that you need a special wristband to get into. It's this like high class charity event. Like I was so on board for everything yeah. right? that was happening. Also, in that she, I was like, what the hell is she's going the on? daughter of Max. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Like another first... callback to the first. Yeah. It's mentioned just very, very subtly in passing. I didn't even pick up on I it the first time I saw that. it. But yeah, the fact that she is the daughter of Max. I... I kind of liked her and her brother's relationship. Um, I thought to, they were probably Ethan. the, weakest, the pl- weakest part of the film. I mean, yes, but like I, I liked how they were established. Um, in that that their their whole dynamic, how they had this whole setup for capturing Solomon Lane, that kind of led into arguably the best set piece of the entire movie, and you really think that they are evil like there's pretty much like you watch it and you're like yeah these guys are definitely just like the evil guys but then seeing where everything goes it's like i can also see how they're actually just working undercover and they have kind of the same uh mindset as max where it's kind of like uh they're an international arms dealer but maybe they're kind of doing it for the betterment of the world by preventing these uh major weapons from getting into the wrong hands like they do do some ultimate shady shit but sometimes it's kind of necessary and also to do that. they're just doing it for a paycheck too so yeah. if, if the cia is writing that check then that's just who they're going to be working for at any given time the about the the paris set piece though i think one of the reasons why that's one of my favorites is because the first time you get a glimpse at it is through this like kind of fake flash forward. And we've seen a, a fake flash forward in um, Rogue Nation. Uh, McCory did it there with Benji with the, the fake mask scene. Mm-hmm. But in, in this, it's one of those moments where the, the, the audio cuts out and you just get music. So like, so in the bathroom fight, no music, just visceral fight sound effects. In this sequence, you just get music with no audio. You have Ethan imagining what it's going to be like to extract Lane. 
and it's this really kind of affecting scene where you where Ethan pictures himself murdering a cop in cold blood. Mm-hmm. It was really, really effective. And kind of foreshadowing for later on yeah. toward the end of the set piece wherever there's the female cop there and you it's also, I mean, you see Henry Cavill like immediately kind of grab his gun, just a little quick shot on him that yeah. shows the difference between these two at this point who were thinking quote unquote thinking are like kind of partners together on this journey. Yeah, I think I, I really do think that this is the best film of the series. But one thing that I think Rogue Nation did a little bit better is that it gave you a little bit more of an omniscient viewpoint at Ethan Hunt and that you saw him as more of this force of nature that everyone else was sort of like dealing with and interacting with. You got a little bit more of a, of a, first person viewpoint from Benji and from Ilsa and from um, I guess Jeremy Renner too in Fallout you're in Ethan Hunt's perspective and a lot of times it seems like the characters around him are just kind of existing to prop him up a little bit and to service that overall through line of like hey Ethan Hunt's a fucking badass Um, I uh yeah, I I did prefer that in Rogue Nation, um, you kind of see a little bit more of Ethan Hunt's seams, where it kind of seems like he's getting to the point where like he's losing he's his, losing it, yeah. and he like definitely gets like majorly concussed at one point in Rogue Nation, and you can tell he's just like really like fucking out of it. And in this movie, he doesn't have that same level of vulnerability. But there's almost part of me that when watching, um the whole scene with uh, Henry Cavill and him uh, kind of saying that Ethan Hunt is this uh, John Lark character. It's one of those things that you hear it and you're like, you know, like, I don't think that this is going to happen, but I can kind of understand where Ethan Hunt as a character would totally break. Like, think about you're in Ethan Hunt's positions. How many times have people above you like literally gone on to be like some kind of global terrorist or something like that. How many times have you been fucking disavowed and cast out from your society? And at what point do you finally fight back against the society that disavowed you? Like it's, it's one of those things where you can kind of see where something like that might happen. But I think the key to that is what I was saying earlier about it being rooted in the first film and how he loses his team in that film. Yeah. And because that happens to him, he's always like going back to that. And that kind of defines his character because he doesn't want that to happen to him again. He's always looking out for his friends, for his team. And that's always going to be the most important thing to him. No matter how many times he's disavowed, no matter how many times he's betrayed, the people closest to him and most loyal to him are who he's always going to be fighting for. Um, But we... We gotta we gotta talk about the helicopter finale before we wrap up because I think that even though there are so many other sequences that you could pick out as your favorite, like I think my personal favorite might be the Paris sequence, and I love the bathroom uh, fight and the fucking halo jump. Like, come on! But this helicopter sequence, it it just shows you it's it's kind of a flex on Cruz and Macquarie's part that. Nobody else is ever going to put something 
together like this ever again. It, I'll be surprised if they even manage to do something this ambitious in another Mission Impossible movie. Because you have Tom Cruise hanging off a rope of a helicopter that he then climbs onto and then pilots and crashes into another helicopter. <laughs> and meanwhile, all this is happening uh, in like a very effective cut back and forth between Tom Cruise's storyline and, and Ilsa and Benji trying to find the second bomb. I actually thought that that was really added to the tension of everything. It wasn't in a lot of ways where um, – you're watching an action movie and there's an A and a B story. And you, every time it gets to the B story, you're like, all right, come on, but let's get back to the A story. Like, uh, it's set up. I mean, Mission Impossible is a franchise full of deus ex machinas, but the whole thing is like, well, there's these two bombs and you have to set them off right at the same time. Yeah. But you also have to get this little fail switch thing. And it's like, okay, like, whatever. It's kind of yada yada. impossible. Eye rolling everything. Oh, okay. Mission fallout um so tom cruise like they actually fucking flew a helicopter into another goddamn helicopter and then what follows after that how it's just these two people still like just beating the shit out of each other this is a bad analogy but um it almost kind of reminded me of whenever I was like younger and I would watch Family Guy of like the Peter and the chicken thing where they're like literally <laughs> killing each other and they're still getting back up and just beating the shit. That's yeah. what this Tom and Henry Cable fight was because we've never seen another character in the Mission Impossible universe that is as physical force of nature mm-hmm. like Tom is. And that's what you mean, they ha- provide. You mean Cavill? Yeah, Cavill. Cavill. Yeah. And um, but I mean, I you get the feeling that Tom Cruise was like, I literally want to fight Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to face off yeah. against Superman and prove that I can beat Superman. Yeah. I'm better than Superman. Yep. Yeah, my my only hot take on all of this is that at a certain point, it's a little over the top. Yeah, I, no I, shit. I basically <laughs> said that I said that that word extra being used as it is today personifies everything that Mission Impossible is. But it's, it, in the best way. It's razzle and dazzle them so that you are lured in. But then the actual plot, who gives a shit? And let's just watch to see if Tom Cruise is going to break his neck. I, I see. I like push back a little bit on the plot. Like, I mean, well, I do think that, yeah, it's a guy who has nuclear bombs and he's going to destroy the world. Like, whatever. Like, that's a story that we've seen a million times. But I do think that, like, I give credit a lot of it to the script and a lot of it to the acting that like the whole the love triangle I bought that yeah. like I, I was in on Tom Cruise Elsa and um, yeah and they had to clear that up because uh, Julia she Julia. was still in the mix like you knew that she was around and so I they like had that, to address that and I like that it's very realistic in that there have been like what we're assuming at least like a decade maybe longer 12 than years if, since at, yeah 12 years and if we're going off of that same like time basis, then like Julia would have moved on with her life. Like we get that one little moment of her with her friends and the little cameo and ghost protocol. But at this point, like you would expect her to move on to have like a husband to have mm-hmm. a new life and everything. And she does. And she sees Ethan and it's, she, you can tell like great acting. I mean, just, I mean, shouts out to, um, Michelle Monaghan, to Michelle Man- Monaghan. I, I don't know why I kept wanting to say Rebecca Ferguson. I'm just <laughs> mixing up Elsa and her. Um, but I mean, just 
shouts to her that there's so much so much emotion that comes on her face whenever she sees oh, she's Ethan so good. that you can tell this feeling it's a sense of regret of what could have been but also like this new happiness that she has that she's genuinely doing what she loves she's out there like helping people in cashmere like doing what she found her calling which is something that she never would have had without ethan so for that point she appreciates him and i just i bought that whole relationship so hard that's why i didn't mind the just moments of just people talking because i was i was on board with everything yeah but what about her like husband her new husband was kind of like dumbass. <laughs> that guy he was like such him. a dumbass and it, it was really odd uh, I wanted to look up that actor's name because uh, he's from American Beauty. He was also in Interstellar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I recognize him from Interstellar. Yeah. But um, he was just such a. I, in a way, I kind of liked it because it was almost like a twist on the classic, um, like, just plain white wife that you would see in any <laughs> other normal movie. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's just it's a nothing character that's put on there. But in this movie, he's it's the husband. Dude. He's yeah. the new husband. It's mm-hmm. it's a little bit of like turning it on its head. Wes Bentley is his name. This dude just like he looks like he should have been Superman, but he just wasn't talented I, enough. Aww. He or looked quite to attractive me, enough. To me, he just looked like a discount Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. With like looks- a little bit more of a square jaw, he's also in um he's in an American Horror Story. I think that's one of the things that he's most well known for. He does he looks like a mix of like Topher Grace and Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, if they had like a, a baby who yeah. couldn't act. I I mean, as a final thought, I um I'll say that I really think that that helicopter sequence is one of the best action sequences put on on screen ever. I I think it's amazing. It doesn't top um the Burj Khalifa obviously but in in a movie that gives you so many amazing action sequences to to finish it off with such an epic epic ambitious aerial battle amazing and usually the M- Mission Impossible movies kind of always fall apart in the third act yeah so, usually they're always filled well, with well McQuarrie McQuarrie said that he specifically wanted this one to have the best third act of the entire series I mean the third act is like 30 minutes of non-stop yeah. adrenaline yeah. like and and even the halo jump at the beginning like you know they had to jump out of that plane a hundred over a hundred times to get the shot and it's actually three shots stitched together to make it look like it's a single take and they shot it in over a desert um so they had to digitally insert paris into the desert that's wild (laughs) that like the use of uh, that's this is what i feel like cgi should be used for is having real stunts and then having cgi like i'm assuming that they didn't jump through a fucking electric like a fucking no that's all cgi yeah i'm assuming because you could literally die if you did that so but like the fact that you're seeing a real camera actually move through these clouds and do these kind of epic stunts, but then just having CGI embellishment of yeah. a lightning cloud or and seeing again, Paris at the bottom. The fact that they built a specific helmet just for Tom Cruise so that they could install these lights inside so you, well, could you can see still his see his face. face. Yeah, they have to custom built for him for this movie, and you you the camera. The cameraman jumps first so that you don't see the back of his head. You see his face because the camera jumps first and then Tom jumps after into the camera. And this dude working the camera had to adjust the focus 
himself without a viewfinder. He had a camera <laughs> strapped to his head and he just had to do it by feel because they had done it so many times. They had rehearsed it so many times. He kind of knew the feel of the distance between him and Tom and how much he needed to adjust the focus. So straps an IMAX camera to his head and has to adjust. IMAX cameras are huge cameras yeah. <laughs> too. Like that's not just like like just putting on a GoPro or something yeah. like that. Like, and then you have Tom interacting with this stunt guy that's like pretending to be passed out. Yeah. And then you have this cameraman. Yeah, because fucking like, Walker isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so you have like, you have three people falling twenty five thousand feet to the earth and trying not to like collide with each other and hurt or kill each other. It's incredible (laughs) it's really like it's that's why i just applaud this movie so much like i just can't believe like it's just kind of a complete mastery of its craft do you guys have any any hopes for a seventh film should it be like the logan of the mission impossible (laughs) franchise old man yeah i want to see it yeah let's see it i mean i want to see i would like to see mccory come back while i do i did always love new directors always kind of taking over McCory really is kind of turning this thing into his own I just don't know how this like this is a franchise that for all the reasons that I love it it's it's always one-upping itself and I, the bar is so goddamn high in this like yeah. this set really it started with Ghost Protocol for having a individual set piece that really just set the bar to another level and then Rogue Nation was I feel like the set pieces, I won't say, took a back seat because, I mean, that's still, like, one of the main focuses of the film, but it was more consistent overall with its stuff, and I feel like this kind of took the level of consistency at Rogue Nation had and then pumped it up to about that level, and the highs of Ghost Protocol. Fallout is, like, way better shot than Rogue Nation. Oh, yeah, definitely. The cinematography you can, is I beautiful. mean, you can tell McCory's, like, he's kind of coming into his own as a director, yeah, too. Yeah, there's some gorgeous shots here. It was shot in New Zealand um, for the... The cashmere shout stuff out is to, in New Zealand. Yeah, shout out to New Zealand because they were uh, one of the only countries in the world that would, one, allow Tom Cruise to actually f- pilot a helicopter legally <laughs> after having only a month and a half of training and also to like allow them to fucking fly and zip around in actual helicopters when you're like touching the ground almost and then eventually mountain crash ranges. two goddamn helicopters together. Like, shouts to New Zealand. You guys are the best. Aww. I would say my only thing that I really, really, really admired the most is that even though it's supposed to be these professionals in their field, they still kind of fumble and make mistakes too. Mm-hmm. And I really admire that because every once in a while I'd be like, I would totally mess up in that moment too when it's like the most intense second and you need to like figure it out and then you're like fumbling or like you drop like the key down the well or something, you know, like Well, it, it also adds, it adds peril and tension to the film. It, it makes it more engaging mm-hmm. as a viewer. They're when, more like real people. It's not yeah. just like full on superhero yeah. at yeah. that point. Yeah, it's really it's really cool to watch, I think, because I mean, it is sort of superhero because it's Tom Cruise. Too. Yeah. But I mean, it, like you said, I mean, that's I, I do like that a lot of times with Mission Impossible movies. It's about their equipment. This like they have the state of the art technology and it fails them yeah. in a lot of cool ways. And that, that leads was the best to, part of uh, Ghost Protocol. Yeah. That leads to some really cool character moments. Like it's it's a very, very subtle, uh, just a quick line while um 
we have Julia just out there with Luther kind of helping him cut the cord. And Julia's like, cut the cord with your the red cord. with your. She's like, I'm going to cut the red cord with my right hand. She's like, no, you're other right. And you just have Elsa like in the thing. She's like, ooh, I, I like, like her. her. <laughs> yeah, like I just, I like like little character moments like that. And this movie has plenty of those. Yeah. Any, any final thoughts, guys? It's a great movie. Definitely recommend. Yeah, times. I, probably try to catch it one more time. I really, I might try to see it several us. more times. Like it's, I, like I said, this is my favorite movie of the year. Like this movie is, I think it's going to stand the test of time as one of the greatest action movies like of yeah. this generation. I mean, it's easily the best Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, and then it, it kind of, it, it it it's become more than that with McQuarrie. He's made it. So that he he's been able to use the series as a jumping off point to make something truly special. Mm. I think it was a brilliant film. I just I'm so overwhelmingly jealous that my boyfriend loves <laughs> Tom Cruise so much. But I will admit well, that Tom Cruise was... is a crazy person. Well, <laughs> it's more about like his talent as a producer. Tom Cruise. Ernest goes tonight. Go to goes to bed at night just like dreaming of if he was in Katie Holmes' shoes. Yeah, what would have been different. I drank that Kool-Aid. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. That's it for um, this episode of We Bought a Mic. You can check us out on social media at We Bought a Mic and email us at WeBoughtAMike at gmail.com. Um, next week, we got eighth grade. And uh, Drew will hopefully be back from his rigorous Mission Impossible 7 training um, where he learns how to walk upside down underwater He's currently in the Louis C.K. film school of comedy right now, so so if he doesn't bring home too many bad habits. <laughs> All right, what do you guys want to plug? Um, you can uh, follow me on Letterbox and Twitter at Hunt Mobley. Um, I tweet lots of uh. All kinds of stuff, really. Um, if you live in Florida, today was the uh, last day to change your address or to register a vote for the primaries. So um, if you do follow me, you have seen I was retweeting a bunch of stuff out there because uh, get involved in your community, Let's guys. try to save our country, guys. Come on. Yeah. What would you like to plug? Tom Cruise for president. I don't, I don't have anything to plug. I'm kind of boring. Oh, okay. I'm not cool enough to do the social media. You can thing. follow Lee Perry on myspace.com. <laughs> Yeah, Tom is my friend. <laughs> my number one Cruise? friend. No. Oh, no. No. Well, I am at Caldernist on Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, all that shit. Um, I wrote a pretty good review of uh, Mission Impossible, which I pretty much voiced all my thoughts on here. But if you want to check that out, give that a like, give that a follow, give it a share. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Um, hey, shout out to Fleet Farming. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, if you gave in, away my identity. Yeah, our our workplace. Shout out to B. <laughs> bye bye. Have a good one. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. I keep checking you out. You're hot. They're all Oste- dead. Hasta lasagna. Don't get any Anya. <laughs> Later. <laughs> Cash, look at the cash coming in. Yeah. Come get your man, little nigga bugging me. Yeah. Just see the bag, quit all that jaw jackery. Yeah. Don't even pass me that I don't want none of it. Yeah. These niggas mad about it, had enough of it. Whoa.
did you say it? How that poppin' is shaking? Got me hot as a laser. My past is deep and I rate We had the food for the paper. Had a dream and I made it. El Camino on dates. Bitches guess over bait. Put the bread on me, bitch. Bitch, you bet on my bacon. Big and flat in the bacon. I might just roll out today. I might just roll out to Vegas. Head back to my old ways. Cop a roof in the Asia hoes and you blow all day. Look at me, baby. Look at me, baby. Don't I look like a million? I'm about to clean out the safe. Don't, don't I look like somebody that just be bodying everything? All that talking is great, but I don't be talking. I air it out. All the problems have gotten easy to bury. I'd rather drown him in Hendrix. I'd rather kiss on my Mary. I've been broke away longer than I've been rich. So until it levels out, I'ma take your mama to the Marriott and wear it out. Oh, took me so long.